0: Are you. Is this recording? Yes, yeah, because we're about to start. Suddenly, everyone's decided to make this Grand Central Station.
1: Get your merchandise. Merchandise. Yes. (coughs) Get your yellow taxis. Taxis. Taxi! Taxi cab! I don't know what accent that was. I don't know
0: even. <clears throat> Are
2: you ready? Mm-hmm. Then we'll begin. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids! Comics! Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date.
1: Faulty metaphor. Kryptonite kills. You're assuming I met the green kryptonite. I was referring, of course, to the red kryptonite, which drains Superman's powers.
2: Wrong. The gold kryptonite's a power sucker. The red
1: kryptonite mutates Superman in some sort of weird... Guys, reality. Besides, I can just tell something's wrong when Spider-Sense is tingling. Your Spider-Sense. I'll stay behind and put around in the Cave with crusty old Alfred here. Ah, uh, no, I have no Alfred said. I forget. Alfred had a job. But Gina's life If Clark and Lois get all the good stories, I'll never be a good reporter.
2: Mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen's job's pretty much made me last time.
1: Sorry. Avengers Assemble. Let's get it going. Hey, kids, Comics. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am still Andrew Leyland. And I am still Michael Leon. And
0: this is week three of Happy Birthday Superman. We're glad you could join us. Pull up a chair, put your feet up, relax, sit a spell. And we'll make it all worth your while. Even if you're at work. Especially if you're at work, you should put your feet up. Yeah. And just relax um, are we going straight into emails as we begin this week or do you have any preamble uh, I don't do you have nothing no nope. nothing of, of any interest you're not going to rant that happy issue 4 has been postponed yes. again <laughs> <tell them. laughs> that's, that's not irking you it is that's not you bugging me. you now is it not? it is <laughs> I've read superior spider-man one too. Oh, did you following on from our spider-man discussion of last week and they're very good are they? Yeah. So will you be carrying on with the book? Yes. Okay. Because it's just a ride, man.
1: I was listening to Back to the Bin. I think it was Back to the Bins. Oh, Could be wrong. Uh, and you've made a great joke this morning. but you? Yes. We, we were talking about the this upcoming show me and Scotty Gardner have planned. Oh, yes. Your Ask Us a Question Yeah, sure. And I brought up the question that Scott Gardner asked, can you take out the trash, please? Mm-hmm. And she replied with, but can he do it himself, since he does Back to the Bins?
0: Yeah! <laughs> That's very funny for a ten-year-old. I thought so too. That's very good. Anyway, I was listening to Back to the Bins. I yeah. think it was Back to the Bins. It could have been Comics Monthly Monday. I get mixed up. And if you're not listening to Back to the Bins, which I think is the best show on the two true freaks feed, it's no respect, disrespect to the other ones, mm-hmm. but Back to the Bins is just pure comics. Yeah. Paul Spitaro is on that show. Mm-hmm. Hi, Paul. Paul is a very wise man. Okay. Cause Paul they were talking about this the Spider Man thing and they got onto yeah. the subject of controversy in comics, which I think we've mentioned recently as well, mm-hmm. very briefly. And Paul said that if you're Dan Slot, then you're in a very difficult position. Because on the one hand, you get to write Spider Man, which yeah. is great. But on the other hand, you get to write Spider Man. And at this point there have been more than a thousand Spider Man stories, and that's a conservative estimate. Yeah. As he's been in constant publication for over 50 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that makes him a child compared to Superman. Yeah. Obviously. But it must be very hard to come up with stories that haven't been in
1: some way done before. Well, not only that, you have to write stories that your fans will like. Yeah, and you have to write things that are going to sell. Spider-Man fans are the worst, really. I don't think we're the worst... And it, if you think about the past decade or two, how how many people have complained about comics, most of them are Spider-Man fans?
0: We've had a lot to complain about,
2: dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... And Paul said, so what he's come up with here... Essentially, the same thing we were talking about last year, he's come up with a story that has a twist in it that has not been done before. Yeah. So essentially, what you've got here, I know it's still Peter Parker's body, mm-hmm. and that Peter Parker's mind is somehow, or his memories are influencing that body. And there was a neat little twist at the end of Superior Spider-Man 1, which yeah. you've not read yet. Not yet. So I'm not going to ruin for you. Okay. But what Paul said is pretty much what I got to when I read Superior Spider-Man. Let Dan Slott tell his story. Mm-hmm. Because it's actually quite an interesting idea. Yeah. It's not that it's not been done before. We pointed out two or three examples last time of where this has been done before, haven't we? Mm-hmm just off the top of our head but it's just a story go with it it is not a status quo change okay. as they keep hyping up it's just a tale mm-hmm. but i honestly of the marvel now books it was up there with indestructible hulk for me yeah as a really enjoyable read up there with daredevil and hulk well daredevil's not technically a marvel now but yet I think it is going to get slabbed with the now at some point, yeah. but it's not going to get relaunched with number one, is it? And aren't they retroactively saying that Hawkeye is a Marvel Now book from number one? Are uh, they? Yeah. Because uh. they're, they're saying it, it carries the ethos of Marvel Now, which okay. bollocks, what, Seven isn't? months before Marvel yeah. Now seven happened? seven months before Marvel Now happened. But no, I, I really enjoyed Superior Spider-Man. Okay. I was quite pleasantly surprised by how much, after I read Spider-Man 700... Yeah. And went, alright, show me where you're going with this. And how much
1: I just really enjoyed it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was jolly good fun. And the artwork's great. Ryan Stegman. Yeah, I really like the artwork. I'm not sure about Ryan Stegman. See, whilst is good, he he did a lot of the variant covers on Avengers versus X-Men. Hmm. And almost every one of them had a different art style. Where you look and he's like, I is that Scott that? Campbell? Oh, is, is, is that, Rodney, that him? Is that Ronnie Ramos? Is that the one I said looks like Scott Campbell? He did. I'm not sure, but one of them was the one with Colossus strangling Peter from behind. Hey! That one looked a lot like Rodney Ramos. Right. So I think he he can change his art style.
0: Well, his art style in Superior Spider-Man is very good. And uh, I'm I'm in the position of actually recommending a Marvel Now book that isn't written by Mark Wade. (laughs) Although Mark Wade did write the Superior Spider-Man first because he's in Daredevil is it 23 mm. Daredevil issue 23
1: yeah or something like mm. that but what, what about Avenging spider-man 15.1 I didn't rate that at all Avenging spider-man 15.1 was it no point in reading it
0: no i only bought that cuz i can i read the first couple of issues of Avenging spider-man didn't know i thought this isn't for me mm-hmm. i'm not liking it so i dropped it because um, that doesn't factor into my Amazing Spider-Man collection. Right, okay. That's, uh, and I'm only two or three issues worth. from every issue from 150. Hey. woo um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah, so I fell for the hype, more fool me, that Amazing Spider-Man 15.1 was integral to the ongoing Superior Spider-Man. You know what it is? Mm-hmm. It's a clip show. Okay. That's what it is. It's that episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. Were they've, they've no time to animate
1: yeah. this week, so they just show clips from other episodes. You mean like an issue of Superman, where he gets affected by Red Kryptonite and has a clip show of... Exactly every- like that. And on that exceptionally
0: professional segue, well done. Yeah, very I'm much. very impressed with that. We will move over to the last couple of emails on the final Hellblazer, because obviously as we record this, you have only just heard Happy Birthday Superman 1. Mm-hmm. And nobody has yet managed to listen to a show and get an email in on the show we put up that day I think for us recording at night. I think night. someone should try it. I think somebody should try that. That's your goal, lovely listener. <laughs> when we put the episode up on Thursday morning, we always record an episode on Thursday night. Your mission... Is to be the first. Should you choose to accept it, is to... Listen to that episode and get us an email in before we record that night. Mm-hmm. There will be a prize in it. So what time? By you... which I will get Michael to send you a personal greeting. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi either. Thank <laughs> you for emailing in. It was very nice of you.
1: Thanks again. What time would it be in? Love the show, Steve. America? With that being our main listenership. Um,
0: it depends Whether where in America
1: you are, America you are obviously isn't it only an hour difference
0: no there's at least
1: no. five hours ah, right. <clears throat> possibly seven depending on where you are looks like it's going to be tricky for them though yeah oh, yes
0: they could they would have to stay up late yeah download it as soon as we release it go to bed and sleep yeah listen to it as soon as they get up and dashes off an email straight to ah, her I don't know if that's possible mm. to be honest with you they not go to sleep mm, yeah receive, unless they work nights yeah. That'd be doable, wouldn't it? I suppose. Possibly. Anyway. We're rambling now. We are. Rambling, ma'am. So, our first email, talking about our Hellblazer wrap-up, which is the subject heading. Mm-hmm. Which, very good, very na- very neat segue there as well. It was. I thought. We're on, we're on the ball. We're, we're on a roll tonight, yeah. it has to be said. Uh, it's from Michael Farinow, who is a new emailer, he I is. do believe. Yeah. Well, hello, Michael. Welcome to the show we're glad to have you
1: mm-hmm.
0: pull up a chair ignore the 70s deco we're told we can't change it <laughs> apparently it's some contract thing I don't know can't even put a poster up no we can't even put even a Farrah one yeah I was sad to learn I thought he would have let her put a Faro set poster up in this deco but apparently no apparently it will ruin his lines oh, yeah <laughs> have you seen this wallpaper the 70s didn't have lines they had brown squiggles brown. Brown on Brown action and you know. <laughs> Anyway, Michael's email <laughs> begins Hey Andrew and Michael, hey Michael Hey Michael. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed these shows, especially the second, as I'm a pretty new reader to the series, but somehow managed to have read all of the issues discussed, even with the small amount of back issues and trade paperbacks in my collection. I also love it when you do readings from the books with funny foreign accents. <laughs> Well, as you may have guessed, Mr. Farrin, I also enjoy that. I'm not entirely convinced anyone else, other than your good self, has ever enjoyed that. I find them enjoyable. Do you? No one has ever emailed in and said they were offended. (laughs) So so you're just
1: going to keep carrying on until the Yeah, yeah. And
0: I think of everyone, I think Dave Walker when I attempted Irish, I think he could have... Hi, Dave, I hope you're okay. Um, I think of everyone, he could have possibly got emailed in and said that was offensive, that accent. But he didn't. So, Mm -hmm. fair play to him. One favour I would like to ask. Oh, please do ask. I'm not saying we'll grant it, but... Please do a show covering the last few issues, maybe 295 to 300. I would love to hear your thoughts on them. I'm actually sitting on 296 to the last issue so I can read them in one go. This also might be a nice break in the middle of your upcoming Superman series. Just a thought.
1: And a very good thought it is too. Because we were planning to do 298
0: to 300 and Constantine. wait, we? I know you said you want to do Constantine 1. So, do you want to do the last couple of
1: Hellblazers and Constantine one? Yeah, let's do the death of and Constantine one. Does he get killed? Does he die? Spoilers. The the story like, is centred around the build-up to the death. Of Constantine? Yeah. It's, it's called... Um, I'm pretty sure it's called Death and Cigarettes.
0: See, if the new 52 is a complete revamp, which it was with every other character, mm-hmm. I don't actually mind that. Because it means that then Hellblazer stands alone as a complete entity. Yeah. Even though it was written by many, many different writers and it wasn't a creator-owned Sandman-type thing, Mm -hmm. it would stand alone as a complete piece of work. Yeah. So I quite like that. I quite like that idea. Okay, Uh, thanks for doing the podcast. You're very welcome. We enjoy doing it, don't we? Mm -hmm. I listen to be entertained even if I don't care about the books you're talking about. Which I think is one of the nicest things people can say. even if they listen when we're covering something you've got no interest in then thank you very much we do appreciate that because there are a lot of shows out there I listen to where the hosts are so good I will listen whatever they're covering Back to the Bins the aforementioned Back to the Bins always excited when a new Back to the Bins comes out Um, so keep up the great work best Crimson I presume that's an alias of some description Mm. well thank you very much Crimson Michael Michael Crimson that was very nice of you to email it. Uh, we are, We will put your suggestion for Hellbla- the last couple of Hellblazers, and then the first Constantine, in our book of ideas.
1: So now it's definitely doing that.
0: No, it's in the book of ideas. We've had stuff in that it's book been in the of book ideas of this since
1: Hellblazers. Yeah,
0: and we've had stuff in that book of ideas since we started the show. Yeah, that Absolutely. we've never got around to doing Wonder Woman by Perez. How long's that been in the ideas the Miller, book? The Miller Claremont Wolverine. How long's that been in the idea book? Yeah. as something
1: we thought we'd want to discuss at some point. I just, Speak, oh, have you seen the reality. Wolverine Adamantium edition? I've seen the photos of the size the, of it. The beast of a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pity it's got some, some cack in it. Mm. Otherwise I'd have been tempted by that. What also puts me off as well is that it's not a story, it's several. hmm It's One, it's cashing in on the new Wolverine movie. It's just the best of collection? Yeah,
0: which is fine. I have no problem with the recent collections that cash in on movie releases. But you can not have something that expensive. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because it's got Paul Jenkins' origin in, which I flicked through and thought, no, I don't like this. And has it got Mark Miller's stuff in as well, or is Miller getting his own omnibus? It's got some Miller stuff in there. So it's got some Miller stuff in there. But it has got the Clermont, Frank Miller stuff.
1: And it's got the recent um, Wolverine and the X-Men. Has it? How many of them? No idea. It just says Wolverine well, we'll in the next one
0: Right. So it's just a, a best of from his entire publishing career. Right. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh, our next email, been catching up with the best podcast on the net, which is very kind of you to say, mm-hmm. is from Dan North slash Aiden Mohin slash Tony Stark. Because not the same person. I remember <laughs> this. <laughs> slash whatever other wow. alias that he wants to go by this week. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of aliases. Just ask Sydney Brister. Hey, guys. Hey Dan, Aiden, Tony. Hey you. <laughs> hey you. <laughs> First off, congratulations on getting on the Demanzo core feed. Um, thank you very
1: much. It, it was it was a, a tricky negotiating process. Yes. It has to be said. I think it's worthy to be congratulated. Yeah. Apart yeah, yeah. for 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 weathering that contract. Yeah. My God, you nearly broke your foot when you dropped it. I did. Uh, it's
0: very convenient to have all my favourite shows in one feed. Well, isn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've been letting my episodes of Hey Kids Comics pile up of late because, well, I have a very good reason for that. See, I'd been reading through Tim Drake's appearances and my read-through happened to line up with you guys reviewing Prodigal. I was really excited to read along with you and then somehow my Prodigal issues got to the bottom of the reading pile. Anyway, now i finally started listening to the huge backlog I've stocked up and I regret not listening to these when they came out. Well, see, they're always there for you. Mm-hmm. We try to create an ambiance of timelessness, apart from when we discuss Superior Spider-Man number one, Yeah. <laughs> which is a little bit topical, mm-hmm. which we don't, we, tell, we try not to go there, but for the most part, they're there for you to discover as and when. We're not a review show that reviews this month's books. So, you know, if you want to stockpile a couple and then stick them on your MP3 player of choice, that's fine with us. Uh ps I know this is going way back, but I couldn't help throwing in one last word on maximum carnage. just when we thought we <laughs> were out they pull us back in. This is going to sound crazy, but I 110 percent agree with spider Man in this story. I would argue that Carnage is innocent. he's mentally ill, and even if you wa- and even if he wasn't, he still deserves a chance at rehabilitation and a second life. How can any of us say that carnage won't in the future save the world or reform? We really can't, you know. Prodigals a great tale, and your coverage was excellent, Aiden M Mohit. Thank you very much, Aiden. We appreciate you listening in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't remember what what was that bit of Maximum Carnage? Where Venom was going to kill Carnage and Spider. Oh, Spider Man's no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's forget about all the people he killed.
0: Obviously, obviously, he has a very pe- optimistic outlook on life, whereas you yeah. and I
1: are very pessimistic. Kill him! I Give him just, the chair. Usually, I'm
0: optimistic. Let's look at Carnage.
1: Let's just look at him. Okay. <laughs> Bring back capital punishment for <laughs> carnage. <laughs> our next... The firing squad. Yeah. Shooter. Um, <laughs> open fire.
0: Our next email podcast in the past message from the future. Which is now in the past as far as the message is concerned. But he'll be hearing this in the future as of our recording of it. Mind is born. Mind. <laughs> cans open. Worms all over the place. Who
1: puts worms in cans?
0: This email is from... Abel Padilla, but he goes under the name of Sphinx Magoo,
1: which it's I think our listeners is an witnesses. awesome name.
0: I love the name of Sphinx Magoo. That's a brilliant name. Greetings, Leylands, from cloudy, gloomy and cold
1: New England. Well, gre- greetings, Sphinx, from cloudy, gloomy and cold England. Old England. I was listening to your podcast as you review Avengers vs. X-Men
0: and had a series of thoughts which I'll jot down when I should be doing housework. Please don't tell my missus. We'll be sure not to mention it. Mm-hmm our our word is our bond isn't it
1: Yes. mum's the word which is great when I'll show his words
0: yeah also Sphinx I'm sorry I can't call him Abel, Sphinx he's just such a great name is a new email Yeah. so welcome welcome let us hope this is not your only email mm-hmm. I just listened to iFanboy about the Injustice digital comic tie in for the upcoming video game when uh, Leyland Sr. mentioned how much toys factor into comic production, as
1: outlined in Marvel Comics The Untold Story. Have I told you about what these, was your... this? What was <sighs> uh, All about that. And I'm pretty sure I told you about this. Go on. Uh, Lois and Clark. Uh, well, Clark gets Lois pregnant. In the comic? Yep. Yeah. Joke tries to get in on this, Say, so, hey, uh, let's, let's. Is this spoilers? for people who've not yeah. read it. Spoilers! It's, it's spoilers! <laughs> don't bother though, the game's just fighting each other like Mortal Kombat so you don't need to read the comic. Okay, but, so Joker's like, oh yeah, Let, let's kill Lois Lane. So he does. Superman goes, ape crap, crazy. As, out, as I expected. Kills the Joker, goes on this killing spree and declares himself king of the world and Batman leads the Justice League and the Resistance against Superman. And that's the premise of the story. Discuss.
2: It
0: sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah,
1: which is not to say that a good story could not be woven from from that idea. Well, I, I don't think there'd be much in the way of a good story because it's based on a game we just hit square to fight your opponent. Is it just Mortal Kombat? Yes. Yeah, so you're just waggling your joystick and hitting your button. Yeah. Right. It's like a couple of years ago there was a DC Universe versus Mortal Kombat. Now it's just DC Universe. I may play it though, because you know.
0: I may actually be any good at that, whereas every time yeah. we play Mortal Kombat, you paste me. You quit. <laughs> yeah, I'd throw the controller across the room in a fit of peak. Don't I? Funny enough for this, this game's crap.
1: And Michael's just sat there chuckling. Going,
0: Dad's crap at Mortal Kombat. I'm
1: not stoned. Shut up.
0: <laughs> uh, Avengers vs. X-Men. The email continues. Seems tailor-made for a video game. Or perhaps as a Dragon Ball Z-like series with lots of battles and lots of yelling and lots of crippling battles where the heroes seem to have amazing recuperative abilities on a par with Wolverine. That's actually a really good idea. There was
1: Phoenix Five. Their power level was over 9,000. Avengers vs X-Men would make a great game. Yeah. In Mortal Kombat style E. Yeah. Do you remember Masters of Karis tarzy the Star Wars game? The Star Wars game. You are a pitiful of The one fighter. that monkey wants to play because it's Mortal Kombat. Who was the girl in that? Aiden Lynn. Aiden Lynn. Yeah, your mum used to get... Your mum
0: got really good at that game. Yeah. Masters of Carys towers Or Terris Carzy, eh, or... Going to the Carzy, eh, or whatever. Oh, that Star Wars game. Yeah, that, that Star Wars like, like game like that was other. Mortal Kombat by any other name. And it's also strange to hear Leyland Senior, the email continues, discuss the events leading up to Amazing Spider-Man 700. As I'm in this show's future, listening to you in the past, I feel a little bit like Doctor Who. I want to let you know that you should not write Peter off yet. I can say, no more. And I've just got a vision of him, though, just tapping the side of his nose. <laughs> because now I've read Superior Spider-Man 1, I know to what he refers.
1: Do you? Mm.
0: Oh, okay. It's a very good twist. I'm just going to go and read it. I didn't see it coming. Did you? Not? No, no, because I stay away from message boards and stuff about books that I'm interested in. Right, so honor. does it have anything
1: to do with Peter coming back? He's already back at the end of Superior Spider-Man 1, yeah. Right, okay. he's back no no I, I don't mean fully back I mean Dog Truck's Plus it, has completely been expunged it was a one block. issue story <laughs> that was it that <laughs> would this... more controversial than it
0: staying in retrospect that would have been an awesome twist <laughs> yeah. all this hype all this build up and at so the and end of this... Superior <laughs> Spider-Man one Peter Parker's back that would have been brilliant no one would have seen that coming and everyone would have been annoyed yeah. by it that would have melted the internet <laughs> let alone tore it in half Oh, why did Dan Slot not think of that? We should be writing comics. We should be writing. You know, the other day while I was doing my way, I plotted out my six movie Spider Man arc. Six movies? Six movies. Right, okay, I go plotted. on. Do you want to? Go All on to? Alright, okay. I would do it in such a way that you brought a movie out every two years. Right. Okay? And you filmed one and two back to back, and two and three back to back, four and five back to back, and so, whatever. Okay. So on and so forth. Mm hmm. However you'd work it out To to allow the actors Not to age very much But in terms of the character They only take place Over about a three or four year period Right The first film Would have to be his origin But I would actually have You know The guy who kills Uncle Ben Be a burglar Right You know Just for for giggles Yeah yeah. Seeing as they've not Actually done that in the film yet Despite that Being the story Mm -hmm. But primarily I would focus on Peter Parker And the first villain Would be Dr Octopus In the first one Okay Because Betty Brandt Would be his girlfriend In the first film Right And you would play out the whole Amazing Spider-Man 9 and 10 thing where Bennett Brandt gets killed and Dr. Octopus and Spidey's involved and they break up at the end of the first film. But the subplot going through the entire film is Peter Parker in high school, which Mm -hmm. is the important stuff, the soap opera stuff that brings the girls through the door. And the only significant change I would make is I would have Gwen and Harry in high school with him, because that's a change I can live with. And throughout it all, as Peter gets more and more confident throughout the first film, Gwen and Liz Allen start noticing him, and this makes Flash and Harry jealous. Okay, the second film, right. I would beef up the high school stuff, and I would also have the Green Goblin in the movie, as he comes in, but he's not the main bad guy. There's a subplot running through the entire second film where he's trying to take over the mobs, same as in the film. Yeah. In the comics, sorry. But the main bad guy is either somebody else, he's like the vulture or something. But you also have Pepper. Yeah. Little set pieces with other bad guys not good enough to carry the movie, like the shocker. Leading up to the sense of six. Exactly, Mum. Right. Exactly where I was going with it. Brilliant. Also, in the second film, Gwen starts going out with Peter and noticing him and they start building up a relationship. Right. And you also introduce Murray Jane in the second film, who comes to the high school in the last year of high school. Right. So she'd already set up and Harry is obviously infatuated with her. Okay. They would graduate high school at the end of the second movie, and Peter would take Gwen to the prom. Okay. Okay. The third film, you would carry on the subplot of The Green Goblin. At no point do you tell anyone who The Green Goblin is in the second film. Because you've primarily got to think that the films are aimed at people who have never read the comics. So then this will be a moderate twist if they ignore the fact that the Samurai movies. Blew it for me. But whatever. Alright, we're moving on with this. You would also have Harry making plays for Murray Jane, but Murray Jane's interested in Peter, but Peter's only got eyes for Gwen. Right. And that relationship starts building up as they go through the first year of college, which is in the third film. Mm -hmm. Again, the Green Goblin is only a bubbling subplot until the last third of the movie, Mm -hmm. where Peter Parker and Spider-Man start busting up his rings, and he gets a mad on for Spider, and then you turn Amazing Spider-Man 39 and 40 into the back half of the film. Where he's he's had enough of this, and he goes after Spider-Man, and he finds out that he's Peter Parker. And then at the end of the film, you'd you'd have to put him in a coma or something. Because the amnesia thing probably wouldn't work these days. You go through the fourth film, and in the fourth film you have Harry spiralling into his drug dependency. Another couple of little villains along, but the main Spider-Man confrontation, at this point, is the night Gwen Stacy died. Because the entire culture now has been mind-wiped into thinking everything's a three-film story structure. Yeah. So to kill Gwen in movie four would completely gut people because they wouldn't be expecting it. Yeah. Movie five, you bring all the disparate villains from the previous movies into the Sinister Six. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. After the death of Gwen, you have Murray Jane and Peter growing closer. Flash has gone off to the army by this point, or whatever, I don't care. So you have Mary Jane and Peter growing closer throughout movie five. Yeah. The Sinister Six happens, it's more of a romp, it's a fun little Star Warsy type romp, as opposed to the last film, which was The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, okay so you're already messing up the structure. You end movie five with that great cliffhanger from the comics. Peter Parker's had a great day out with Murray Jane. He's brought down the Sinister Six of Spider-Man. He took a lot of pictures, made a lot of money, took Murray Jane out on the best night of her life. The next morning, he's coming home. The next morning, see what I did there? Uh-huh. He's coming home and sitting on his doorstep is Gwen Stacy. You're not telling me that cliffhanger ending would not bring the audience back for movie six, Clone Saga. And because you've got it all plotted out from the beginning and you've got the first two scripts done and dusted before you start filming, as soon as they go to college, you introduce Professor Warren. So again, for the audience that hasn't grown up reading the comics, by the time you get to movie six, Professor Warren's the jackal. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much you could do if you planned it like that and ditch this trilogy idea that they keep having yep. and this we only make one movie and we don't plan for the next one until this one's successful it's a Spider-Man film it's gonna be successful yeah there you go there's my six fun Spider-Man story arc you should pitch it they wouldn't do it they're in the middle of the Andrew Garfield trilogy now aren't they yeah I mean at least he's
1: still in high school wait another six seven years and Why then pitched my idea I don't
0: know anymore Anyway, um, I'm sure I'll have more messages from the future for you as I catch up on your podcasts. Uh, continues the email from yeah. Abel. <laughs> Thank you so much. They really help make my housework go faster. I must go as I have to get the kids from school. <laughs> I love the idea of people listening to us while they do mundane things. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Thank you very much for your email. It was greatly appreciated. Uh, email it again. Oh final email tonight. ...is Hellblazer, and it's Chris Keith. Hi, Chris. Hello. Nice. Speaking of emailing us back... Mm -hmm. Hello, Leyland's. Hellblazer episode one. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and since you mentioned you would be doing it, I've been getting all kinds of excited. I'm really trying to remember my origin of John Constantine. I know that the first boot was the trade of issues one through eight, I think. May have been Dangerous Habits... That boot was so great. I have no idea about the character other than John. I can't remember, but I may have already read some, if not all, of the Alan Moore Swamp Thing. I remember thinking when I started reading the Hellblazer boot that while the art was substantially better in Hellblazer, Rick Veach was on the Swamp Thing book when they introduced John, didn't dislike him, just thought it was Muddy. It's a Vertigo book. Well... Muddy is the middle name. Pre-Vertigo. Pre-Vertigo, yeah. And John was a dead ringer for one Gordon Sumner back in those days. I guess Rick or Alan was a police fan. My initial thoughts about the character were mixed. How could anyone go along with this guy when he basically got everybody killed that had anything to do with him? You'd think someone would have heard the news to stay away. That being said, he was just cool. And anyway, anyone who could turn holy water into beer into holy water, yeah, awesome, oozed from the page. Hellblazer started off really well. I would love to say that I kept reading, but I was sporadic in the 90s and the early noughties. I read all of Ennis, because, well, it was Ennis. And, yeah, in issue 60, that's Genesis. You're not fooling anyone, Garth. I still wish they would have found some way to keep Kit around, as she was a great counterpoint to John's craziness. Alas, different worlds that could not combine. You guys mentioned that he was married now. Wow, I am behind. The last I read was Brian Azarello and the story of Ont hillbillies and porn. I really wish that I'd made that up, but I'm pretty sure that was the story out when John got out of prison. Another Azarello arc. Art oh, was dreadful, by the way. John looks 60. Anyhow, the issues you referenced are some of my favourites. Newcastle still creeps me out and it took me forever to find it. I knew the gist of it, especially when Astra showed up in the Ennis room around issue 100. But seeing it finally... Good stuff. Understandable why John would be a bit off-centre after that experience. I'm really looking forward to part two that I've just downloaded today. I really do need to go back and finally catch up to the decades worth of issues that I have missed. Well, I'm not jazzed about John living in New York in the New 52, I'll give it a go. Chris. Yeah, you, you, you seem to have made your peace with all that and you're willing yeah. to give it a chance, aren't I'm a big fan of Justice League, um, Doc. Thank you very much, everybody who emailed in about the Hellblazer episode. I think it's fair to say we're always a bit trepidatious when we do a Vertigo slash Hellblazer episode Mm -hmm. because the viewing figures viewing figures you know what I mean Yeah, the listening figures are never as high for Vertigo episodes that's just the way it is people prefer the straightforward superhero stuff there's nothing wrong with that but uh, we are gratified by the amount of people that have emailed in and said they've enjoyed it anyone who didn't enjoy it has spurred our feelings and not emailed in so thank you to them as well (laughs) Um, we're going to take a quick break and plug somebody else's shows, And we'll be right back.
2: This is the old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Uh, risen! All right. Let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us. The Only Thor Podcast, hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. Gathered together. From the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. The Superman Podcast Network dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan podcast superman in the bronze age from crisis to crisis a superman podcast i've got a few things to say about superman the superman vidcast, the world's best podcast and radio kale from supermanhomepage.com as well as the audio dramas superman last son of krypton and supergirl last daughter of krypton from pendant audio production join hosts michael bradley john wilson billy hogan Charlie Niemeyer. J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor. Michael Bailey. Scott Gardner. Kamin Stoll. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Unis and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
1: And so Clark Kent, strange visitor from another planet, takes the first step toward dedicating his amazing powers to the cause of justice. He has resolved to keep secret his Superman identity and to adopt a pose of mild-mannered timidity as Kent, in order to safeguard the masquerade. And in order to be at a place where he can learn immediately of any emergency that might
2: require his help, he seeks a job as reporter on a great metropolitan newspaper.
0: And we're back. As is tradition, what are you doing, Michael?
1: I am eating.
0: What are you eating, Michael? A biscuit. What kind of biscuit, Michael? A chocolate. One. Excellent. Good. It's nice to see that we've settled into a rhythm. Week three of Happy Birthday Superman picks up in the 1960s. As the TV show ended, the Superman of the comics continued to churn out new content. Whilst the show finished creating new episodes due to the unfortunate demise of its lead actor, which one would imagine would be a problem in creating new episodes reruns of the show throughout the 60s would keep the character in the public eye and ultimately gain the show increased awareness and the status of a classic believe it or not they did actually attempt to make a series without George
1: Reeves with stock footage yeah
0: they pitched the idea of doing Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen yeah. To the actor who played Jimmy Olsen, Jack Larson, and just using stock footage of Reeves as Superman to make cameo appearances. And Larson apparently said, That's a bit gross, I'm not doing it. And the idea was dropped. Because they know have done what they do with Spartacus, though. Well, just recast? Yeah. I suppose so, because they'd already recast Lois Lane. Yeah. And nobody had noticed, apart from, you know, me. <laughs> I don't think kids yeah. at the time noticed. Mm. So, well, yeah, I suppose they could have done. The comics, under the stewardship of editor Mort Weisinger, began to delve into Superman mythology more than ever before, and Weisinger ruled with an iron fist. Allegedly, he talked to children to ask them what they wanted from Superman stories, and strived for more consistency in the stories themselves, even if continuity wasn't always a strong point. The 60s would see new additions and inventions. Like Superman before her, Supergirl would get a pet in Streaky the Supercat, although Streaky wasn't from Krypton, and Comet the Superhorse. Superman would return to Krypton and romance Lila Lerol, another of his LL Conquests to add to Lori Lamares, Lana Lang, and, of course, Lois Lane. The Kryptonite count would increase as blue, white, gold, jewel, and silver Kryptonite would be added to red and green. The Phantom Zone would be discovered and Supergirl would be revealed to the world. Superman would gain new enemies in General Zod and the Parasite, and new friends as his relationship with the legion of superheroes and the JLA would be fleshed out. An artist by the name of Kurt Swan, who had drawn Superman before, would slowly start to replace Wayne Boring to become, in many people's eyes, the definitive Superman artist. The definitive Superman writer, Jerry Siegel, would return to the character he created. In an effort to keep all this fresh and new, the bottle city of Kandor, introduced in the waning days of the 50s, would give Superman more survivors from Krypton to contend with. More and more imaginary stories, some very entertaining, such as What If Superman Married Lois and stories that couldn't be told in real continuity, such as the saga of Superman Red and Superman Blue and The Death of Superman, were every bit as moving and exciting as the real stories, despite their imaginary tag. In other media, Superman's adventures would be translated to Broadway, for It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, and a new cartoon, The New Adventures of Superman. But as Bob Dylan was fond of telling us, the times, they are a-changing. And Superman, if he were to survive, was going to have to evolve. Attempts were made. Superman Issue 216 saw Superman intervene in the Vietnam War and have a superlative cover by Joe Kubert. Despite this, the story itself was a letdown, lip service, and no more. Within a few issues, Superman was back to dealing with being super fat. New artist Neil Adams made Superman look more realistic than ever, but beyond a few stories and admittedly excellent covers, he was busy reimagining Batman as the Dark Knight detective after the damage the Adam West TV show had wrought to that character. The young upstarts at Marvel Comics were making the DC heroes of old seem old-fashioned, and in 1970, Mort Weisinger stepped aside to let in a new editor take over and refresh the Man of Steel for a new decade. Before that, however, a quartet of excellent adventures from the swinging 60s, stories that, despite their limitations and intended audience, contain more imagination, excitement and really wild things than any number of more modern takes. Kicking off tonight with one of the best imaginary stories, The Death of Superman, a book-length novel from Superman issue 149. Originally released on September 14th, 1961, with a November cover date, this has become a well-regarded classic in Superman lore. The cover is another all-time classic. Superman lies on an examination table as Luther proudly proclaims, "'Last I've Killed Superman!' Lewis, Perry and Jimmy look on, aghast. A great three-part imaginary novel, the cover proclaims. The cover, like the interior art, was by penciler Kurt Swan and inker George Klein, And the story was written by Jerry Siegel. And, unlike last week, I bootmarked everything this week so that we can go straight to the story. This one is in The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told, my exceptionally beaten up trade paperback that we talked about last time. The first chapter, entitled "Lex Luthor Hero," has a splash that states the impossible
1: has happened.
0: In a tale that may never happen—or may, who can tell?—Lex Luthor has been carried aloft on a float by Superman, as stunned citizens look on. He's not a villain anymore, claims one onlooker. Superman and Luthor are now friends, exclaims another. But how did this weird chain of events come to be? In prison, Luthor notices a strange glowing rock, and so punches a guard right in a kisser. As penance, he is assigned to working the rock rather than his cushy library job, which, of course, is what he wanted all along. Taking a piece of the rock to his cell, Luther's keen intellect recognises it as Element Z, and with it, he can cure cancer. Luther begs for 24 hours in the prison workshop, and he will work under constant guard. Although reluctant, the warden acquiesces, but true to his word, Luther develops a serum in less than 24 hours that will do exactly What he says it will. The world reacts, as one might expect, with incredulity, but no one seems happier than Superman, who quickly rounds up a supply of Element Z in space so it can be used to make more of Luther's serum, and speaks on Luther's behalf at his parole hearing. After his release, Luther vows to work for the betterment of all mankind, but Luther is approached by two HUDs, Duke Garner and Al Mance, who say they will kill him if he doesn't kill Superman first. Part 2, entitled Luther's Super Bodyguard, the story picks up where Part 1 ended, with Luther stating that Superman is his friend now and will not kill him. They open fire, but Superman has been monitoring Luther and arrives just in time. He gives Luther a signal watch, like Jimmy has, and within the day Luther is need of it, as the crooks believing Luther to have betrayed them, he'll hand grenade at him. Luther activates the signal watch and Superman arrives and destroys the grenade with his heat vision. Other attempts on Luther's life are equally unsuccessful, but Superman tells Supergirl even he can't protect Luther all the time, and so he builds an orbital lab for Lex to work in. The Hunts decide they can still kill Luther, even though it will cost a fortune, and so they fund a guided missile and launch it at Luther's space station. Superman stops it and builds a super-hard, semi-transparent bubble around the station to prevent further attacks. He even gives Luther a missile of his own to fire off as the signal watches ultrasonic waves can't travel through space. Predictably, Luther fires the rocket off pretty soon, and Superman arrives on the space station only to be bombarded with green kryptonite rays. Unable to stand, Luther manoeuvres Superman to a doctor's table and straps him down with kryptonite restraints. He reveals that he has kidnapped Lois, Jimmy and Perry, but oddly no mention is made of Clark, and lets them watch as the Man of Steel breathes his last... Luther dumps the body on Earth and proclaims himself future, King of the World! In part three, the death of Superman, mourners from around the world and from off it, from the future and from Superman's past, all view the deceased body of the Man of Steel as it lies in its tomb. In the bottle city of Kandor, the Kryptonian flag flies at half-mast. As the world mourns, the underworld celebrates. Luther regales them with his tail just as Superman bursts in. It is, however, the underworld of Startle to discover Supergirl in disguise. She takes Luther to the Bottle City of Kandor, where he is tried. Luther, however, is arrogant and unrepentant throughout the trial, confident he can beat this. After testimony, Luther surprises all by pleading guilty, but says, let him off, and he will find a way to enlarge Kandor. To his utter shock, the Kandorians say no. They refuse to deal with murderers and sentence Luther to eternity in the Phantom Zone. However, this does not bring Superman back, and this is a melancholic Supergirl who patrols the streets with crypto mourning her cousin, but vowing to continue the fight. What a miserable ending. Mm. <laughs> In a good
1: way. And there's more miserable endings to come tonight.
0: Oh, yes. See, Superman was doing melancholic long before Peter Parker was around, you mm-hmm. uh, know? Page two. After the excellent splash page, which, again, as per the era is another cover the first panel takes great pains to point out what the splash and the cover have already noted that this is an imaginary tale and they may or may not happen did kids really have
1: such short
0: memories in the 60s
1: it is only page 2 and I've already been told that it's an imaginary story three times
0: (laughs) on one page well perhaps they didn't want people getting all upset and bent out of shape as the story unfolds so the setting up this is not real it's an imaginary story um, page three. Uh, the art in this is really good. I really like the art in this. Page three. I loved panel three of page three. Many times over in Fantastic Cast and elsewhere, we've took the piss out of stupid wardens who allow criminal scientific geniuses access to a wonderfully well-stocked prison lab where they build amazing devices that allow them to escape. Here the warden is having none of it and flatly refuses to our Luther use of the lab. It's only when Luther says he can cure cancer that the warden agrees. Sensible man, this warden. I like that. Mm. Uh, I also like the writer doesn't take the easy way out and have the warden be a numpty. Because yes. we've seen that in tons of straight, strange tales. They've let the wizard or some other scientific genius use the lab. And, kill surprise, <laughs> they've created something that lets them break free. And you're just like,
1: how have you still got a job? Yeah. You Numpty. And I find that the warden just so happens to have a portrait of Superman so that he can just point to it whenever he's talking about it. I love that.
0: I mean, the, the story from this era wouldn't be complete without some Silver Age silliness. But I love that he's got an autographed, framed poster of Superman with a little light above it. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't compliment you for our wardens. Yeah. Superman just goes around every prison yeah. in the country signing pictures for them. It says, here, you can hand that up. <laughs> And don't thank me, one. We're all part of the same team. And then he'll wink at him and fly off. I, yeah, I loved that. I thought it was really good. Because like Luther needs being shown what Superman yeah. looks like. In case he? he's forgotten his fist in his joke. face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, page four. Uh, there's a certain naivete to Superman in this story, in that Superman believes Luther has a strong streak of good in him. Now. Whilst this could be contrived, it plays perfectly into Superman's character that he would believe that Luther can change. Some imaginary tales or what ifs over at Marvel only work because of an out of character decision that changes the events of the original story. I like that that wasn't so here. I do like the, the headline of the Daily Planet as well Lex Luthor discovers amazing cancer cure, and it's just a picture of Luther's floating head. Yeah. It's like there's no background or anything. So when they took that picture, they decapitated him.
1: Yeah, he's not holding the cure or anything, no.
0: No, <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been a much better picture. Yeah. Him actually holding the cure or having him with some, some cancer patients who he'd cured. Yeah. That'd be a great picture. No, it's a picture of Luther's disembodied head. Oh, <laughs> this is what Olsen. happens
1: when it doesn't work, Luther.
0: <laughs> this is what happens when you give a teenager a man's job. <laughs> so you brought a picture of his disembodied head. Well done, Jimmy. <laughs> the rest were all blurry. Page nine. Part two of the story is complete with a logo and renumbered pages, which makes me wonder if this wasn't originally conceived as a three-part story to be serialised before somebody made the decision to print it as a whole. The theory is given weight in the addition. in addition to the alterations above, there's a recap of the previous eight pages. I know we've already established that You know, they've told us three times already Mm. that this is an imaginary story that may or may not happen. And they tell us it again, here... Just in case we forgot. In case we forgot. I doubt that readers of the 60s were really this memory challenged. Mm. Um, Also, the strip's designed with only two-thirds of the page used at the end of each chapter. Whilst the splash page of the next page only takes up two-thirds as well. It would have been really easy to take the two panels on chapters 2 and 3 and reposition them to make this a complete story with no interruptions. So if you took the two panels there from the bottom of part 2 dropped them into the big gap at the bottom of part 1 mm-hmm. and then you could have just carried on reading this as one complete story. It's an excellent way of hedging your bets Yeah. as an editor. You could make this story a three-parter over three months or a complete novel like they keep saying that this is but it ain't no novel is it? No. Or you could re-edit it together and you've got a story for an annual. Mm-hmm clever. I mean, yeah. you couldn't do that anymore, because everything's written for the trade paper. Superman melting the grenade in mid-air in the semi-splash page is brilliant. Again, that will be repeated in two pages' time, though. Yeah. So this gives me... this is what makes me think it was originally written to be a three-part yeah. story. A three-part backup strip rather than a full adventure. The crook's logic that if Luther won't kill Superman, then he must be running a double-cross, and it seems rather spurious. Mm. The underworld won't benefit from a cure for cancer or heart disease, will they not? That wouldn't help them. Apparently not.
1: Underworld figures don't get cancer, do they not? No. Or there, heart there's, there's no disease when you're a... Uh... When you're a bad guy. Yeah. Crime does pay. Crime does pay, <laughs> you don't get cancer. Health and dental benefits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you could pay for the best. Yeah. Car, couldn't you? Tony Soprano never seemed to struggle. Um... How does Luther double crossing Superman mean he's in any way double crossing the underworld? I didn't get that at all. I didn't get the thought processes there. Mm. Just because he's not killing Superman, that doesn't mean he's double crossing you. It's wise guy talk, they just don't comprehend. Yeah, I don't understand it, see? <laughs> you gotta kill a Superman for a C, or you're a double cross, C. <laughs> and Luther's like,
1: Am I double cross? I don't understand. It's like the bit in Django where no one understands the German guy, because he, he's talking, but he's quite posh about it. And everyone's around like, speak English. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even though he isn't speaking English. Is it Christopher
0: Baltz? Yeah. From Inglorious. Uh, page ten, we've got a bit more wonky logic. I don't recall Luther promising to kill Superman. Hmm. They really are hard of thinking, these people, aren't they? A little bit. Um... page page 11 sorry the pages get renumbered which has been slightly confusing Um, how fast is Superman in the Silver Age that he could hear Luther's signal watch change arrive and melt the grenade in the time it takes the hoods to throw the grenade a span of no more than five feet
1: because he's from Krypton that's pretty fast it's very fast isn't it he's Superman because he's Superman the Flash could probably do it I'm Batman he couldn't do it no he probably would he'd have something in his utility belt he would yeah (laughs) <laughs> probably it'd probably Batarang threw it halfway across the world he probably would hit yeah. that grenade right out there comes all the way back catches it
0: <laughs> would that totally work would carries, that be plausible? Carries,
1: carries on typing on the uh, bat computer cause Batman is just so cool yeah or, or you get his Batman incorporated robots to hop on him to do it for him yeah the living brain how does Superman melt the grenade with his heat vision and not make it explode I don't know yeah, wouldn't it? Would it blow up scientifically? Yeah, it's physically? an explosive, and you heating it up. That's what it'd go boom. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he's done it twice in two pages. Yeah. And Granted, well, it was not a splash he,
1: charge, he rolls the car up into a ball, and yet the three guys <laughs> inside are <all> three, three <laughs> guys are perfectly fine. Yeah, he crushes the car in his bur hands with the three people still inside, and then he just rolls them down the road to the police. But they're not all mangled up or anything. No, 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 but they're all perfectly okay. Like a transformer. If you're inside a transformer, do you not? Get Where they go? Up?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: I I don't know. And you you remain perfectly fine. Maybe they work in such a way that they move around you and the little bit that you're sat in works like a little cockpit thing.
1: Right.
0: Which doesn't explain how Superman managed it here. Mm. I'll give you that. But, you know, fair enough. Um, There's another attempt on Luther's life on the next page with a poison dart and Superman catches it in his mouth. (laughs) <laughs> mm. <laughs> he swallowed it. <laughs> it would have been much fun <laughs> if he spat it back at the guy. Yeah. That would have been great. Um, page 12, I love that Superman adheres to the Health and Safety at Work Act. In that when he takes Luther up into outer space, he's giving him a handrail in the bubble. Yeah. So that he doesn't fall over. It's very thoughtful of him. It's very nice it? of him. <laughs> <laughs> I have got visions of him making Lex sign all these health and safety forms. No, I can't take up you yeah. can't so, so. If something happens to you, this is just to say it was all your fault <laughs> and I am absolved of any guilt.
1: Okay? Alright. Wait wait a minute. This is from the Kryptonian law of health and safety. Oh yeah, just, just, it's, it's, it just works the same way. So there'd be a
0: loophole for him yeah. to prosecute him when he got back to Earth. Um... On page 13, why did Superman seem surprised that he's unharmed by the missile's impact?
1: Hmm, don't know.
0: I didn't understand that. Surely he's capable of surviving direct missile heats. Mm. I'm unharmed! He thinks, (laughs) of course you're unharmed, you're Superman. Yeah. That was a bit strange.
1: Mm. And um, also, um, only Luthor can operate the hatch. The escape hatch. The escape hatch that leads him into space only Luthor could operate (laughs) the hatch if he wanted to die
0: if he wanted to float out into space yeah I'll be sucked out or blown out or whatever the physics is. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right, it's not an airlock, is it? No. It's just, he's got a hatch there leading directly into outer space. <laughs> Imagine if they have a cleaner <laughs> he wants to let
1: some fresh air in. It's the Superman, you know him, he, he opens the hatch. But then on the, on the next page, where um, <laughs> Superman finds the hatch already open for him, how did Luthor open the hatch and get him back inside the satellite without being sucked out?
0: Yeah, because it does look like it does lead to out into space. Yeah, Because yeah. there's even a walkway yeah. for him. There's not an ear out there. Maybe this was all Superman's <laughs> cunning plot to kill Lex Luthor. Yeah. And it
1: backfires on him spectacularly. Because even though Luthor had to go and open the hatch, he could still run back inside without being sucked out. Yeah, that's pretty much.
0: Mm. Page 14. Humorously... The missile that Superman makes for Lex Luthor looks like Lex Luthor. Yeah. There's a there's a problem with this. Uh-huh. It explodes after being fired. Yeah. Because that's what lets Superman know that Lex is in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Does this not seem like a bit of a loss leader to you? Because it basically means Superman's going to have to build a new one of these every time Lex
1: uses it. Mm-hmm. Maybe mass-produce them. (laughs) You think there's a market for Lex Luthor-shaped missiles? (laughs) And he he had to make it look like Lex, just so that he didn't get it confused with the... The The Brainiac missiles. (laughs) That
0: explains Superman 4. Yeah. He's ridden all the world of nuclear missiles. (laughs) So he can replace them. So he can replace them. He's selling Lex Luthor missiles to Russia. Yeah. You know, we think Superman's a good guy, but really, Brian Azzarello was right all along. Yeah. Slightly. <laughs> um, page 15, the twist in the tale. Luther hasn't renounced his evil ways, and this would have been much more effective with a different cover. Because the cover kind of gives it away this is going to happen. Yeah. Can you imagine reading that without seeing the cover... Well, I did. So that's quite a big twist, other than the fact that the story was called The Death. But the story wasn't called The Death of Superman, was it? No. It was called Lex Luthor Hero. So I quite like the idea that if you've read this blind... Had you read this before then? No. So was this a big shock to you? I wouldn't say a big shock. Given that I'd already mentioned it was called The Death of Superman. Yeah.
1: Mm. Okay, fair enough.
0: Was it a little bit of a shock? It was a little bit of a shock. All right, fair enough. Page 16 was one of my favourite pages of the entire story. Because it, it glories in the depths of Luther's depravity. He's willing to cure cancer and risk death from the underworld. Because the underworld didn't know his plan. No. Unlike most bad guys... Who mm-hmm. have to tell everyone you have everything. have to tell everyone what the plan is. Luther kept his mouth shut. Yeah. Luther kept this all to himself and told nobody. Which, as far as I'm concerned, makes him ten times smarter than any of Spider-Man's villains. Yes. <laughs> or any of James Bond's bad guys. No monologue for me. No, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it quiet, and oddly, the plan will work. <laughs> Boy, it's a revolutionary idea. Um, he kept this secret for weeks just so he can lure Superman into a false sense of security and then kill him. Do you think there were certain kids who were reading this at the time who took the message from this that people are actually scum? And there's no there's no such thing as changing your ways and evil wins. Is that what you got out of it? That's the message I got from this. Story. Is your
1: personality then—it's <laughs> a <good> theory.
0: <laughs> it explains my cynical personality yep. and my general outlook on people. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, fair enough. All right, I'll go
0: with that. Um, Luther's is really sadistic. Well, yeah, isn't he? You're
1: making them watch as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's glorious. That he's torturing Superman to death essentially. <laughs> Which we can tell, because his face stays green. Yeah.
0: Um, in front of his best friends and the woman that loves him, laughing yeah. while he's doing it. He's the kind of bad guy Jack Bauer would have just shot. Yeah. Isn't he? Oh, this was a brilliant page. I mean, some of Superman's dialogue's a bit You up, eh? You, you, owie, you ow. devil!
1: Ow! Ow! ow. I didn't know Kryptonite hurt it to be honest. Um, I, I don't know. It's... What does Kryptonite do? Does Kryptonite weaken him to the point of or does it weaken him so that he can be killed?
0: I always... Well, I mean, going off the evidence of this story, Kryptonite ultimately weakens... Robs him of his superpowers and weakens him, but continues to weaken him eventually that it will kill him. Yeah. So prolonged exposure to green Kryptonite would eventually kill him. hmm I never got exactly how quickly it works, because that seems to depend on the story. Yeah. Like in the Superman movies... He's introduced to Kryptonite... And suddenly he's like... He can't lift a chain off his head. Mm. And you're like... Really Superman? D- even, even in a weakened state... You just can't lift a chain off your head. Mm. I accept that the Kryptonite... May still be near you... But if you've got it off your head... Possibly you could swim <laughs> away. Or float away. Mm. But... And here... It seems like he's having to do... A prolonged... Concentrated dose. Yeah. To kill him. So I buy here... That Lex is killing him in a much quicker amount of time than it would normally take. But they're always inconsistent about how fast Green Kryptonite works, aren't they? Mm. In anything. And it always, it always strikes me as really weird as well that it works instantly and suddenly he's got no powers. Yeah. And then you take it away and suddenly he's got all his powers back. And you're like, is that how it works, really? Because there's a good... The best ever episode of Lois and Clark is the first one that introduces Kryptonite. And the first time he's introduced to Kryptonite, he just feels a bit woozy and weak.
1: Hmm.
0: But he's got no superpowers. And he has no superpowers for the rest of the episode. Yeah. And they come back slowly. And I like that more than you just take it away and suddenly he's fine again. Yeah. That makes more sense to me. But, um... Yeah, yeah, some, some of Superman's dialogue's a bit ropey, but other than that, this was a great page. I especially liked on the next page where he just dumps the body.
1: Mm.
0: He just dumps it on me. he's not interested now. <laughs> now I've killed him, I don't <laughs> care what you do with they it. He puts a cape over his face, but... Well, I got the impression that Perry did that, or oh, yeah. Lois. I don't think Luther did that. Luther probably doesn't care. Because he's not interested in Lois, Perry, or Jimmy. Mm. He just captured them so they could watch Superman die. What Superman's dead, he doesn't care about Perry White or Lois Lane. Yeah. His goal was always the death of Superman. I did love that with all his technology and all his brains, mm. he transmits his message to Earth via radio, mm. <laughs> and probably, probably not even FM. It's a shortwave radio signal.
2: <laughs>
0: Which is quite amusing. Sorry, what, Lex? <laughs> you would have thought he'd have invented HD.
1: Mm. Somebody have that was Luther's next, yeah. Brain. yeah. Luther's brain surely would have created HD. Um, First it's cancer, next it's high definition TV. <laughs>
0: I'll cure cancer and, and dark disease, then I've invented an HD teller.
1: Yeah,
0: I want to watch some 60s TV show that I don't know what was on the air in 1960 in high def. <laughs> I bet Granny Clamp it's incredibly sexy in HD. <laughs> was the Beverly Hillbillies on the air in 1960?
1: No, I, I have
0: know. no idea. Um... I didn't understand what the, the thing is with, with American villains wanting to be king. Yeah. Because this happens all the time in the Silver Age of Marvel as well. They have visions of being
1: king. The Americans have a monarchy you now. No, 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 they don't have a monarchy. That's is why they're it? fascinated by ours, apparently. <laughs> More <laughs> maybe, fascinated than we are. Maybe that's why. There's no monarchy, so that's why they want to be king. They want to start their own. Yeah, this gonna have a king yeah. tech hours
0: <laughs> tech Charlie he's not doing anything no. he's waiting for his mum to pop off oh but he's worth a laugh though and he, yeah but his mum's like I'm
1: not giving up my throne to him Philip ever it's, she won't die I'm not dying Philip bloody bat how old is she <laughs> about 408 I think
0: <laughs> uh, page 19 The Mourners are led by Lois and Lucy Lane, followed by Laurie Lamaris and Jimmy Olsen and Perry White and Linda Lee, a.k.a. Supergirl, being comforted by Batman and Robin. Batman's getting on the
1: action. Batman's there with Supergirl, (laughs) but how you doing? You know, uh, before he died, he told me to uh, keep an eye on you. He told
0: me to look after you, if you know what I'm saying. Have you seen my mansion? Have you seen my bat pole? My bat cave or your orphanage. (laughs) Let me show you my bat cave. (laughs) Oh dear God! Um, I forgot where I was. There, yeah, Aquaman's there, and Green Arrow's there, and Wonder Woman and the Flash, and Norman Osborn. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Behind the Flash, it's Norman Osborn. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, I wonder if he's there to get tips. Maybe. He's going there to visit
1: Lex. <laughs> so, like, how did you pull this off? And will it work on Spider Man? Kryptonite? I, I don't think so, Norman. <laughs> Oh, dear. Try a radioactive shots of the spider that bit him. Do you know why he's there? Go on.
0: Supergirl's young, underage, blonde. He's totally going to make a move on her. <laughs> Norman's there to hit on Supergirl. He's going
1: to wreck on the crap out of he's her. He's going to
0: wreck on her. If that's what they're calling <laughs> it now, and then we're going to have Supergirl babies. <laughs> oh dear me. Where's Lana Lang? Yeah. I can't see Lana Lang anywhere because originally I thought Lois was with Lana. Mm. Um, But Lana's not blonde.
1: No.
0: She's a redhead. Unless you're watching Smallville. In which case, she's dark haired Because, Mm. obviously, fidelity to the characters means nothing. (laughs) Um, Page 20. We get world leaders, representatives from other worlds, and all nationalities from all over the world, coming to pay their respects. Was the impact... That there are aliens in the galaxy, just openly wandering around Metropolis, ever explored in Silver Age comics? Or did they just not go there? Definitely not. Because you've got a very definite proof, not just with Superman, Mm -hmm. but of the existence of aliens. Yeah. And Earth just wasn't interested in that. Within that, they were just like, "Oh, we're not alone in the universe. Brilliant! (laughs) It built brilliant."
1: So you we'll don't check think, out the latest magazine.
0: Ooh. Oh, what's
1: Kim Kardashian up to?
0: There are aliens, real aliens. Who cares? Kardashian ass.
1: They're alien enough. I don't I'm understand <coughs> them, because they are alien. I think the Kardashians are aliens, to be honest. They were <laughs> in Star Trek, weren't they?
0: <laughs> um, oh, page 21, there's Lana. Lana Lang shows up. It has to be said, the sheer amount of women mm. showing up to profess undying love to Superman is quite amazing. He was quite, was quite the player, wasn't he? Yeah. Knee deep. Knee deep in um in Lovely Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I almost went there. Um especially Laura Lerara, she's quite cute. And then the Saturn girl. And <laughs> Saturn Boy or, is that
1: Saturn Boy? Lightning Lad. Lightning Lad.
0: And Lightning oh, Lad's going good. I fancy her. Back <laughs> off, now Superman's dead, I've got a chance. <laughs> hey. I don't think that's true. What? To be honest with you, I don't think that he ever had a
1: chance. And Krypto shows up. He's in the Legion of Superheroes, thus, he has no chance with any woman of any form. <laughs> He's <is> wearing pink. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, Lightning Lad's the one in purple. Alright, oh, so Lightning Lad's the ginger.
0: Yeah. So so she's in the Legion of Superheroes with a man who was skin tight pink lycra and a ginger. No wonder she was after Superman. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> she was that like, desperate she went back in time for <laughs> Oh she's looking over the Legion of Super and she's looking at those two and going <sighs> Where are the batteries? Oh. <laughs> oh, crypto shows up to pay his last respects, yeah. love a
1: bit of crypto. I like how he speaks in English.
0: Yeah, I lo- well I love that not only that, but he chokes in English yeah. as well. He goes Everyone chokes in this I will like- never oh, another master like you choke. Everyone was choking. Yeah. Him. Well everyone was upset, weren't they? I love crypto. Yeah. I think crypto's brilliant. I think of all the adventures we had together. Does Krypto live longer with him being Kryptonian? Probably. He wouldn't just live a human dog's lifespan, would he, presumably?
1: Well, because he's a Kryptonian dog. Yes. Kryptonians live longer. He'd live a little longer than a, hu- a normal dog, right?
0: We never had any evidence that Kryptonians lived longer. It was always been assumed that Superman will live longer because of these powers... Yeah. presumably that will preserve him for a decent long time there's always been this idea that he'll live to at least 150-200 years old
2: mm.
0: he'll outlive Lois for a start so whilst Crypto will probably eventually die <laughs> I presume he will live a much longer life than a human dog yeah, But a human dog if something truly awful happened
1: to poor Crypto mm-hmm. how would you put him down? I don't know, let's ask Jeff Johns. He's done it like three times. Has he killed Crypto? He did in Flashpoint. And I'm sure. I'm pretty sure Crypto was dead. I'm not having none of that. action comics. I don't like killing Crypto. Until he then came back. Oh yeah, Crypto's got better a lot, hasn't he? Because I'm pretty sure it was Crypto who was in the back of Jonathan Kent's truck. Was it? Which he gave to the military. And they would test. Yeah, which had been. Seated. Is this not Flashpoint? No, this is Action Comics, which we did in issue two, when they captured Superman and they showed him the, the skeleton. Of, of his dog? Of Crypto, yeah. That's a bit gross. But then there was an issue later on where Crypto was the ghost watching over. Is this Grant Morrison's out. Action Comics one?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I don't remember.
0: And I have read them. Mm. I suppose that says how memorable they are too uh, Page 22, Luther is gloriously callous. The art where he describes how Superman died, twisting like a worm on a hook, is just wonderfully sinister. And you've got
1: all these people who Tell us again how you killed Superman, Luthor! I like the statue of him choking himself. (laughs) 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 Yeah, he's got a marble statue of Superman
0: dying. (laughs) Oh, dear God. Um, And they've got pictures everywhere. Did Luthor have cameras, though?
1: No, didn't he say they were paintings?
0: oh yes these beautiful paintings reenact my triumph over Superman here so he's had them painted do you think the artist had any qualms about this or if he just went a commission's a commission dude a criminal artist I wonder if you can get an actual comic book artist to do you a commission of (laughs) that Luther killing (laughs) Superman do you think they'd look at you like okay all right. it's, it's money. Your, your, your money's as good as anyone's. I love the panel on the bottom of this page when he's talking about wriggling and twisting like a little hook. He sweated and turned green. The last thing he ever saw was my grinning face. And he looks just like Kevin Spacey. Mm. I think that's really good. Kevin Spacey was actually quite well cast.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But he wasn't given a very good script. Uh, page 23 is wonderful in terms of pacing. Superman arrives... And it's just at this point that the audience is expecting him to arrive. We don't believe he's dead, despite what the cover told us, as even imaginary stories have happy endings, don't they? Last not, Superman is revealed to be Supergirl, who takes Luther in. Uh, I really like this scene. I know you had your problems with it. I Remember, at this point, in continuity, the world at large does not know of Supergirl. So having her reveal herself at this point is a wonderful example of
1: the girl of steel flipping the bird. What was the point of Supergirl pretending to be Superman? She was only doing it for two panels, and she did what? Ripper painting.
0: And she destroyed the marble statue. Oh, okay. Let's be honest, she did two things. Um, yeah, it's on the one hand, I liked it. Because from a story point of view, you're expecting Superman to show up. Mm-hmm. That's what it is more than anything, it's dramatic license. Yeah. You don't believe he's dead as the reader for the first time do you Mm -hmm. you're you're like Superman's going to show up any minute it's all a con and everything will be okay Mm -hmm. and then you've got the big reveal that no actually he's still dead which is like a double gut punch it's like oh you've brought him back and you took him away again Mm -hmm. Jerry Siegel really could twist the knife (laughs) in his writing couldn't he Um, what didn't make sense to me on this page was that Luther is going to be tried by Kryptonians because he killed a Kryptonian yeah Does that make sense? If you commit a murder in another country, it doesn't go off what nationality the person was you killed. You are bound by the laws of the country that you're in when you committed the murder. So Mm. surely he should be tried as an American in an American court of law. Mm. But, you know, whatever. I bought it. Alright, fair enough. Page 24 and 25, Luther's trial where again he's the spitting image of Kevin Spencer. yeah is fantastic throughout the proceedings Luther is arrogant cool and aloof he even pleads guilty so convinced is he that the Candorians will not refuse his offer and throughout these entire two page trial Luther is wonderfully portrayed in fact he's portrayed wonderfully in this entire story um a couple of days ago, or weeks ago now, I watched the documentary It's a Bird, It's a Plane, it's Superman, which came out around the time of Superman Returns. It's on the DVDs. And in it, it states that prior to Gene Hackman playing the part, Luther was a two-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. Which again goes to show how little the people who produce these things know of the comics. Yeah. Because I can only assume they're referring to live-action Luther.
2: Mm-hmm. Who
0: probably was a bit of a two-dimensional character at this point. But in the comics... This Luther is wonderfully arch. He's scheming, he's manipulative, he's arrogant, he's obnoxious, he's a cunning liar. I would have loved to have seen this Luther being played on screen by Kevin Spacey rather than forcing him to play a slightly more hyper warmed over version of Gene Hackman. Luther's reaction when the Kandorians don't agree with him was
1: hilarious. It was
0: hysterical, wasn't it? Yeah. He just couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe they would turn down the opportunity to have the bottle city of Kando re-enlarged in exchange for chucking him in the Phantom Zone. Mm -hmm. It could have been milked a bit more, to be honest with you, because it's like just one panel of him going, what? Yeah. And then they chuck him in the Phantom Zone. But I thought that was a great ending, Mm -hmm. that they were like, no, screw you, we're not going to make a deal with a terrorist, Mm bye-bye. Phantom Zone, never coming out. Um... All told, I thought this was an excellent story. I have a lot of fondness for Silver Age Superman, even though I prefer the Golden Age. But with this story, we see that Jerry Siegel was writing stories that were light years away in terms of quality in comparison to his contemporaries. There's nothing wrong with a lot of the writing in this era of Superman when you consider who it was being aimed at. But it's quite clear The age range that you're aiming the stories at, whereas Siegel elevates the material enormously, delivering a tale that, like the Golden Age stories, can be read and enjoyed by both children and adults alike. Siegel never talks down to the reader and delivers a story that is poignant and downbeat. There is no happy ending here. Superman is still dead at the end of the story, brought low by his greatest strength, his ability to forgive. By having Luther capitalise on what he would see as a character flaw, we are shown a Luther more ruthless than ever before. A Luther that cures cancer simply to get close enough to Superman to kill him. What an utterly twisted yet brilliant character Luther is in this story. Petty, vindictive and small-minded. The ending is extremely sad. A Supergirl takes to the skies in Superman's stead with both her and crypto shaken at the loss. And the wonderful final panel with the ghostly Superman waving at them leaves the reader despondent. Again, this was a few years before Stan Lee would make this a regular thing in the Spider-Man strips. And Siegel shows that he was the first and perhaps shows what might have been if he'd been allowed to continue writing Superman as he wanted to. What did you think of this one,
1: Michael? I really enjoyed it. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I, I just like stories where the bad guys win. And even though we ended up being put in the fan's throne, Lex still won. Yeah.
0: yeah. You can't like every story where the bad guy wins.
1: I like it because it's different. Well, and it doesn't happen as much.
0: Well, that perhaps is what makes them special. Yeah. When the bad guys win. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Being a prime example. I love this one. I really do love the death of Superman. Because it does have the, the courage of its conviction.
1: Yeah. It
0: doesn't bring him back at the end. It takes full advantage of being an imaginary story. And that Superman's dead. Mm-hmm. There's an Earth out there in the multiverse. Where Luthor won and killed him. And it's Supergirl and Crypto who carry on the fight for truth and justice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's brilliant. I really love this now,
1: It's not mentioned in... Infinite Crisis or 52 or anything. What, there's an Earth where Superman died? Yeah. Duh. I suppose, no. Uh But Lex Luthor... Just shut that
0: one out of the way, because we don't need that anymore. Hasn't been the only consistent thorn in the Man of Steel's side. His Achilles heel, Kryptonite, has been his one major weakness from almost year one. As we mentioned in our coverage of the 30s and 40s, the K-metal from Krypton was almost the first appearance of Kryptonite, but due to that story's nixing, the green, green glow of home first appeared in an episode of the radio show from June 1943, called The Meteor from Krypton. It would have to wait until Superman issue 61 in 1949 before it would make its first appearance in a Superman comic. Over the years, many and varied forms of kryptonite would plague the last son of Krypton. Green caused weakness and was eventually fatal to natives from Krypton. Red's effect was unpredictable and temporary. Gold robs Kryptonians of their powers. Blue, which is only deadly to Bizarro. White, which was deadly to plants... What? And jewel, which was a trick of Jack, a phantom zone criminal. Any plant or Kryptonian plants? Only Kryptonian plants. Ah, right. And given that not a lot of Kryptonian <laughs> plants survived the destruction of Krypton, I can't imagine that that's a Kryptonite that got used a lot. Mm. But what do I know? Maybe he dropped little pieces of it into Kandor every now and again just to annoy them. ha! <laughs> <laughs> i just killed off your plant life. I curse you, Superman, and your practical
1: jokes practical jokes killing off all the crops and oxygen supply yeah that'd be funny <laughs>
0: maybe not um, my first exposure to kryptonite was the 1978 movie and I quickly discovered Red Kryptonite in the pages of the oft-mentioned Superman Annual 1975 1979 Perhaps this is why Red K has always been my favourite The Untold Secret of Red Kryptonite was originally published in Superman 139 which came out on June 16th 1960 with a cover date of August The cover features Super Merman as the man of tomorrow ditches Lois after being gifted a tail instead of legs and swims off to be with Laurie Lamarr as his mer-woman squeeze apart from a mention at the bottom this tale does not feature on the cover it was written by Otto Binder pencilled by Kurt Swan and inked by John Fort and again this is in Superman from the 30s to the 70s in glorious black and white with Bruce Campbell on the front it does look like Bruce (laughs) Campbell on the cover doesn't it yeah Bruce Campbell about 1994-ish Evil Dead time. T- I'd go a bit less than that. When he was doing Briscoe County Junior. Yeah. I'd go for that. But yeah, it does look like Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I'd never noticed that before. Um, I'm not reading this from my Superman Annual from 1979 because, let's be honest, that's falling to bits, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I read that so much as a kid. The untold secret of red kryptonite runs thus. Whilst out rescuing the bath escape, SCAF, SCAF, i never pronounced that right a sub, that has been damaged by a falling meteorite, Superman is informed that the meteorite was red kryptonite, a far more deadly form of kryptonite than green K. Superman summons one of his robots to deal with the problem, but the pressure under the ocean ten miles down is too much for the robot and it is crushed. Superman takes to the seas to rescue the divers. On the way down, he reminisces of the times he has been affected by red K, being split in two, being made fat, tiny, a giant, and having his powers do the whacking. He reaches the downed bath escape scafe, scaf, sub, but the Aquanauts are running out of air. Superman unravels a length of cable to the top and punches a hole in the escape pod. And with the air flowing freely, he rescues the men. With no ill effect, Superman flies off to the Daily Planet to file the story. But upon arrival, he has long hair, a beard and long fingernails. Lois is positively glowing at the prospect of Clark showing up looking like this, but Superman heads to this fortress of solitude, where the combined strength of Supergirl and Crypto are enough to give him a trim with their heat vision. Clark returns to the Daily Planet, and Lois is foiled again. Funny ending. <laughs> Page one of this one. Uh, it's rather a huge coincidence that the size of the ocean, and it doesn't say which one, but let's assume it's the Atlantic, mm-hmm. that this rock of red kryptonite should plummet down in between two aircraft carriers and hit the escape Scaf, sub. But without it, we don't have a story. Mm-hmm. So we'll let that little coincidence slide, I think. Um, a Bathyscafe is a deep sea submersible, which I can't pronounce. I mention this only because prior to reading this as a kid, I had no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. Comics were educational. Yeah. as a child. I learned a lot from comics. I, I totally believe Red Crypto was real.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I still do. <laughs> um, Superman activates his robots in the Fortress of Solitude with a quick blast of X-ray vision. Mm. Can X-rays be used to activate something? The forms of radiation, so why not? But aren't X-rays they're used to see inside the human body? They, they don't actually have a physical form. Yeah, it's a
1: form of radiation. So the X-ray could conceivably activate a robot if it's programmed to activate by X-ray radiation. Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, I thought that was a bit dubious, but I'll go with you because you're still in school, mm-hmm. and I've forgotten all my physics.
1: That's why you can't be—you um, can't have an um, X-ray operation that lasts for too long, because you would get radiated. So does that mean that these robots act by radiation? It's it's very minuscule amounts of radiation, but yeah.
0: Yeah, all right, fair enough. I'll go with you on that one then. I thought that was a bit bogus, but okay. The captain helpfully informed Superman that the water pressure ten miles down is £20,000 per square inch and the bath escape has walls a foot thick. Therefore, knowing that the Superman robot skin is only an inch thick as Superman presumably does, given that he built the things, he wouldn't have to ask the question, will my robots survive? Surely you'd know the
1: answer. Yeah. He built them. Surely he knows the limitations. Maybe he doesn't. I mean, he did only build them on rock and roll after all. (laughs) He built this robot on rock and roll. He just played a little tune on his his Deus Ex doomsday killing machine that he sings into. And uh, the robots were built.
0: I'm not sorry they got rid of the robots post-crisis. Really? I always thought the robots were bit goofy, to be honest with you. Who else me?
1: is going to look after the fortress and feed his animals and well, look after the plants? If he's got a fleet of Superman robots,
0: he doesn't have to be Superman. He can just spend all his time being Clark Kent. And why has he made it common knowledge that he's got a fleet of robots? Oh, yeah. Surely that would come in useful in making Lois not think he's Clark. Look, there's Superman. No, it's just one of his robots. <laughs> How do you know he has robots? Oh, he told me. He's got a big mouth, hasn't he? That's as dumb as giving an interview to it, where he says that he can't see through lead.
1: Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I can see your pink underwear, though, Miss Lee. <laughs> I like pink very much, Lois. I'm sure you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, This does beg the question, do the robots have sentience or not? Uh, apparently they do, yeah. Because he's just sent him to his death, otherwise. <laughs> yeah you're into a whole Mr Data kind of thing though, though aren't you mm. Superman gets put on trial for creating something that has sentience and so killing he, it so he can no longer use his robots to do his bidding because yeah. that's
1: slavery <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with them then? You can't decommission them then because yeah, that's a cr- that's murder. You'd have to just release them into
0: society. So you've got a society that has about eight or nine Superman robots trying to live a normal life. It'd be brilliant if they were like, well, to live a normal life, we will disguise ourselves as Clark Kent. No, I'm Clark Kent. I'm Clark Kent. Clark Kent's all going to work at the Daily Planet. Get out of that one, Clark. Um, <laughs> Page three. The captain suggests sending poor crypto to rescue the Bat-Escape instead of Superman. And you're like, really, send the dog in. Okay. Even worse, Superman considers it. Yeah. And then he considers sending Supergirl. <laughs> this is a very cowardly Superman, isn't it? Oh, there's red kryptonite down there. It may do me serious damage. Supergirl! I know we said we won't reveal you to the uh, to the general populace, but I think this is an important mission. Get down there, because she would have looked really weird with a long beard. <laughs> Page four, the tale Superman reminisces about on this page is from Adventure Comics issue 255, The Splitting of Superboy, in which an alien being splits Clark and Superman into two. Superficially similar to Superman 3, although in this incarnation, Clark is evil and tries to kill Superboy with Green K, but is accidentally killed himself. So Superboy essentially watched himself die. That's rather a harrowing thing for a teenager to go through, isn't it? Yeah. Um... I wonder what he did with the body. Um, Has he got a dead Clark Kent body buried on the Kent farm? Yeah, (laughs) They find it later on. Clark Kent's been dead for years. Superman killed Clark Kent and disguised himself as him. That's just
1: making it even worse. That makes uh, it even worse, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh,
0: maybe we shouldn't mention that. Um, What was interesting about this story were the effects of Red K were permanent. Hmm. They would reverse this idea in later stories where Red K made Superman evil and
1: Clark good. So they swapped that around quite a bit. And how was Superboy uh, aware of Kryptonite when it was Superman you first encountered it? Is that like a Star Trek Enterprise retcon? Yeah. Once the retcon Superboy into Superman's history... Yeah, I noticed with some of the issues this week that Superboy was just a normal thing now. Yeah, whereas prior to this, I think it was prior to the 50s, mm. they just didn't refer to Superboy at all. In the
0: Superman strips. Even though Superboy had been published since I think the mid-40s. Or
1: thereabouts.
0: They just never referred to him. And then slowly they started integrating him into the strip. But this goes back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. About Superboy takes away from Superman. Wasn't there a super baby at one point? Depending on which version of the story you are reading, Yes. He was a baby. He was superpowered as soon as he lands on Earth. So there is shots in one of the early origin stories of Superbaby. Hmm. Trashing the orphanage, and then the Kents come and get him. And there's, there's a wonderful little shot in one of them where they put balloons on him yeah. to teach him how to fly on Super Toddler. Sounds pretty funny. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite amusing. But um, but the problem with all of that is you've got, of course, is how do you tell off a Super Toddler? You can't spank him, hmm. so you've got to punish him in some other way. And it's like, how do you say, "Don't get the cookies"? How do you hide them from a baby that can fly? You can't put them on the top shelf where lead. you can't reach them. <laughs> Cover them in lead. so we yeah. can't see them. Lead cookies. Lead
1: cookie. Delicious. Uh, deli- lead. <laughs> I
0: was just going to say that.
1: Huh? <laughs> oh. the naughty step made a kryptonite.
0: Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> the naughty step of kryptonite. Oh, the tents were malicious, <laughs> Page six, Superman remembers Red K making his powers go all out of whack. And the panel with his heat vision switching shows it cutting down all in his path. Except, oddly, the woman in front of him, where he just cuts the strap of her bag and doesn't amputate her legs. <laughs> that would have been quite embarrassing for him, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, it well, Although, from what we've been discussing tonight, it probably doesn't sound too far off. Yeah. Well, probably not that far. Um... One does have to wonder how exposure to red kryptonite has affected the citizens of Metropolis. Mm. Because surely, after all of this, they'd never trust him again. Exposure to red kryptonite can make his his heat vision go off willy-nilly. He could completely decimate the city.
1: (laughs) Even Lex is hiding the red kryptonite away from him. Even Lex doesn't want to expose him to red kryptonite. Of course,
0: thinking about that takes us down the path of current Superman stories, where nobody trusts him. Yeah. But we're not down with that. Although that's not a new thing, mm-hmm. as you will
1: see as we carry
0: on through through the years. Uh, page 7, far be it from me to question Superman science, but A, would a bath escape really have enough tubing to reach 10 miles up?
1: Apparently so.
0: Okay. And B, or two, <laughs> wouldn't punching a hole in the escape pod suddenly let in a tonne of water into the very yeah. people he's trying to
1: rescue? And he's not even that quick, because we can see him pull it down and fit it all in
2: yeah
0: surely they've all just died or drowned yeah. unless he gets them up quickly but he's got to do it slowly hasn't he because of the bends yeah so maybe it's not me questioning Superman science maybe it's the writers who are just like curse. No, nobody superman it's Stan Lee writing it isn't it yeah because Stan Lee's grasp on science wasn't particularly he's not Brian Cox is he no he writes <laughs> his
1: own science <laughs> he makes his own science up yeah
0: for science. Uh, Page 8, Superman knows that Red K affects him weirdly. He knows it can be dangerous. He knows there can be a delayed reaction. Wouldn't it make more sense, therefore, to just go straight to the fortress and stay out of the way for a while rather than fly into a populated area? Mm. Of course, then we wouldn't have Lois be all giddy about discovering Superman's ID, which he's positively gleeful about. This was one of the things that has come to really bug me about this era's Lois Lane. Namely, what was she going to do when she discovered
1: Superman's identity? Unless you want to be arsed, She'd drop it and never bring it up again. What do you think?
0: (laughs) That would be genius. Yeah. Because I've I've got this vision that she's either going to tell everyone and ruin his life or she's going to blackmail him into marrying her. I like your idea much better. She She just wants to know. Yeah, and then Clark's like... You mean you really just wanted to know? Yeah, yeah I'm not going to tell anyone. What do you think? Hey, I'm a witch. <laughs> now that I know, I'm happy. You go about your business. That's actually really good. Yeah, I like that. Mm.
1: Hmm.
0: Excellent. We should have been writing Superman comics <laughs> in the 60s. Uh, it also mentions here that Superman's hair doesn't grow in Earth's atmosphere. Does it grow when he goes into space?
1: Um... No, it grows into a mullet when he's a... <laughs> when he crushes a it grows into a mullet when he dies. Depends on the... Um, it's not a mullet. The era around him. Okay, fair enough. Still not a mullet. It's a mullet. Mm. Um, see, how come Superman's... Superman can't use his powers to shave himself, but Supergirl and Krypto can?
0: Because it quite clearly says in the dialogue yeah, but, his own heat vision had failed. But we know how
1: strong Superman <clears> can use his heat vision. It needed the combined might of two heat visions. But they're not even got any might behind it, they're just. They, they've got tons of might behind it. She's the maid of might! And was well, he the pup of might? <laughs> He's
0: the pup of might! <laughs> Did Crypto have a, a nickname like the Man of Steel and the Maid of Might and stuff?
1: I have no idea.
0: I don't remember if Crypto had a nickname. What was he What was he called
1: in the TV show? Which TV show? He had a, his own cartoon. Oh, he was just Crypto the Superdog. With Ace the Bat Hound? Yeah but he had a completely different owner and there was no one mentioning anything about Superman or Batman.
0: They must have had the rights to Superman or Batman. <laughs> Although some of them were very funny. Yeah. When I used to catch a couple of my Cartoon Network or BBC Two or whatever they were. Um, I thought this was a really cute little story. We took the mick out of it. It was a clip show. Yeah, and it was a clip show, but I adored this as a kid and I still, I still get a kick out of it today. I mean, there's probably a nostalgia factor mm. in that, I freely admit. But... There's very little new material. Yeah, it is a clip show, like Michael said. And Superman comes across as a bit of a prat, sending his robot to his death rather needlessly. As far as Red K effects go, suddenly having his herby a bit longer isn't quite the threat of having his heat vision go awry. But there's still some charming elements to the tale, such as Crypto's reaction to seeing Superman look like Alan Moore. He's like, "This <laughs> <laughs> he freaks out!" Don't <laughs> No, that's Alan Moore. That's, that's what I meant. I know. You said Alan Moore. I, I did indeed. Let's not go there. Let's not take this poor innocent children's <laughs> character and, and turn him into something that he's not meant to be. Eh, Alan? Of oh, course. Uh, let's not mention that oh, I thought this was charming I really did there's some pretty good art as well in this I think it was enhanced by the fact that we were reading this in black and white mm. which makes the artwork really really shine a lot better than some of the more limited. that's in some
1: of the colour in these recent ones have been quite good
0: oh yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with a lot of it but I just think the art looks a bit better the printing on this is better as well though the paper's better mm. in this from the 70s to the 80s or from the 30s to the whatever year yeah <laughs> that this book was covering. The
1: Superman book.
0: Yeah, that big, fat, hardcover Superman book I've got. Um, I think I've just got fond memories of this story, because although it was quick and simple, it was a, a quick lesson in red kryptonite with flashbacks to stories I hadn't read, which I always liked, as it gives the characters a rich history and a life outside of my knowledge of them. Now everything has to be rebooted every five years. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that, what, Michael?
1: Um, I enjoyed it, but... I, I was, it was a bit too silly for you that one well not even that it's, it's I don't think I enjoyed it because it was a clip
0: show really <laughs> I like seeing Superman with long hair long before the
1: 1990s <laughs> oh that was quite funny leather well, jackets and long hair yeah well,
0: but he, <coughs> he didn't have
1: a leather jacket super bandana. <laughs> super bandana super bandana Made need a Kryptonian cloth I can <laughs> The, uh, straight it was, when was Supergirl played. wore a headband was that made of Kryptonian cloth do you think maybe I like, when, so. when she undid it it could be like a, a stick or a sword you know like Huntress's stick I was just too busy looking at the hot pants
2: Fair when enough.
0: Supergirl I'd love to know how she made those hot pants who mm. <laughs> measured her I'll do it in addition to Kryptonite Superman's greatest adversary has always been Lex Luthor who we've already covered in one story tonight Luther was in a few of the stories in past episodes of this show and he was deliciously evil in the the just-covered-the-death-of-Superman. But that was an imaginary Luther, not the real Luther. Luther originally had a mop of red hair, but due to a miscommunication between the artist on the newspaper strip and the comics, he was inadvertently drawn as bald in the newspaper strip. This change was carried over to the comics, and in a piece of retroactive continuity, he was given a past relation with Superboy, and Superboy was given as being to blame for him being bald. The DC editorial officers had never heard of male pattern baldness, obviously. Over the years, Luther was a constant thorn in the Man of Steel's super side, but a truly classic Superman tale involving Luther was in the story that follows. The showdown between Luther and Superman was first published in Superman 164. It has an absolutely stunning cover by Kurt Swan and George Klein of Lex and Superman in a boxing ring on a planet with a red sun duking it out. The cover exposits that under a red sun Superman has no powers Which would explain why Superman's black eye and is having the tar beaten out of him It was cover dated October 1963 But came out on or around August the 1st It was written by Edmund Hamilton With art by Swan and Klein Strap yourselves in Because this is a big synopsis The greatest criminal mind of our time Of our time Broughts in jail Believing Superman to be jealous of his mind, he vows to end the destructive conflict between them once and for all. To this end, he sabotages a printing press and arranges to be allowed to fix it. To no one's surprise, he turns it into a giant robot and escapes to his lure, and once there he breaks into the TV broadcast and challenges Superman to an even fight. Superman, foolishly, agrees to a fight on a planet with a red sun, so the odds will be even. Superman creates a spacecraft to take them to the elected planet, and Lois' pleas fall upon deaf ears as the ship launches into space. On a far-off world, Superman builds a ring, and he and Luthor call seconds out round one. Luthor pounds the snot out of Superman, as Superman still has a mental block regarding hitting people at full strength. With Luthor giving him a right-kicking, Superman comes back with a strong uppercut and flattens Luthor. One would think that this would be the end, but Superman feels this is only round one and goes to get some water to revive Luther. What a numpty. When he returns, Luther has disappeared. Superman tracks him down to a cactus field, where Luther throws a growth powder at the cacti, causing it to grow suddenly and traps our hero. Superman digs a hole and hides until the danger passes. He escapes the cacti trap, but a sudden sandstorm flows up, and whilst Luther has found shelter, the Man of Tomorrow stumbles around, unable to see or hear. Part two is called The Super Duel. In his delirium, Superman stumbles upon a ruined city and sees Krypton. About to pass out due to fatigue and thirst, he comes across two animals native to the planet that have evolved to carry water in their huge tusks and he takes a few drops. He decides to rest before trying to find his way back to the starship. Luther, meanwhile, has waited out the storm and is hunting for what he assumes will be Superman's dead body. He heads in a different direction and stumbles upon a civilization that, despite possessing some technology, seems a little backwards in its operation. After helping them fend off an attack on their crops by large birds, Luther is led to their machine room where he teaches himself their language. They tell him of the water shortage and Luther helps them construct machines that can search out water. The machines come up empty, but Superman arrives having tracked Luther. Luther decides to wait until after the duel to tell the inhabitants and he arranges that the next fight will use machinery. Luther creates many devices to attack the action ace but Superman manages to counteract them until Luther releases an automaton bloodhound. It attacks but Superman rips out its power supply. The final fight is fought fist to fist but Luther loses. On board the starship headed home it turns out that Luther threw the fight as he couldn't bring himself to tell the inhabitants he couldn't find water. With Superman's powers returned, he passes an ice planet that he hurls toward the Red Sun planet. The robots will be able to create canals with the knowledge imparted to them by Luther. And back on Earth, Superman reveals that the inhabitants have erected a statue in Luther's honour. That one was a bit more upbeat, wasn't it? Mm. Than, Than previous
1: tales we've covered today. Superman was alive at the end. Superman stayed alive at the end of it, yes. Which was marked
0: contrast to the first story we covered. Um, (coughs) I thought the splash page of this one was fantastic. I really did. As a kid... I have to confess, I found Kurt Swan's art to be stiff and boring. But as I've grown up, I've actually started to find the man to be a truly wonderful artist. I really liked it. Do you really like Kurt Swan? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I quite like... That's gratifying to hear, mm. to be honest with you. Um, we'll go into Kurt Kurtzwan stuff in later, as we get more to my teenage years. That's a tease for people, isn't it? Listening <laughs> to the show. Um... He draws everything, Kurt Swan, as as being utterly real. The people, the landscapes, everything. So when the super-powered stuff kicks in, it's almost totally believable. It's hard not to think that the 1978 Superman movie, with its belief that Superman should be the most fantastic thing in a relatively real world, was not influenced by Swan's art. Having Superman being attacked by a red robot dog that Luther is releasing should be campy or ridiculous, but the realism Swan brings to the art is stunning. I'm glad you like the artwork. Mm. It doesn't look to me like that robot dog would fit in that box that Luther's released him from. Seems a bit small. He's a robot dog, he's just like compacts himself. Maybe he don't. That's, that's not a bad idea. Maybe he can contract his legs and stuff. Mm. Yeah, all right, I'll go with that. That's a good no prize explanation. It's as good as any was <laughs> going to get, really. Uh, page two, as before, mention is made that the regular warden would not trust Lex in the prison shop. So Luther waited until he was on holiday before engaging in this plan. Which, again, shows a bit of forethought on behalf, on behalf of the, the writer.
1: Yeah. But... The new press has wheels yeah. and a cockpit, and yet no one suspected that it might have been a car with huge battering rams
0: on it. <laughs> yes, Maybe this this warden news covering why the real warden's on holiday is a bit of an idiot. Well,
1: it even has a car door on it. <laughs> so Luther can get in
0: it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. That being said, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, that's true, I thought his skit was brilliant. I don't understand how a lead lined hideout would not attract Superman's attention. Yeah. Surely something that's lead lined will stand out mm. if he's using his X-ray vision. And surely you'd then go, maybe that's something I should investigate.
1: Well maybe once everyone found out that Superman can't see past lead, they all thought, right, let's let's put lead around our bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and around the shower yeah in case he's a super peepster you know um, like Super Returns showed him to be yeah I, mean, uh, I
0: like that Luther's heading off road so our cars can't follow <laughs> I've got a wacky idea call a helicopter but no Luther escapes hours away Was is his headquarters. police trucks uh, police trucks are police helicopters mm-hmm. apparently page four I had a few logic problems with this page. While Superman agrees to the fight... ...without his superpowers... ...which seems a bit silly... ...but okay, I'll go with it... ...and he takes them to the red planet... ...or the Red, sun, the planet with the red sun... ...so that mm-hmm. Superman has no powers... ...it seems a bit dumb... ...to suggest... ...that once they're on the planet of the red sun... ...Luther will follow the rules. Yeah, He's Luther. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee... ...that this escaped
1: criminal will follow the deal. In the this guy will cure cancer to kill Superman. Yeah, so it seems a
0: bit dubious that Superman would believe him when he says, oh yeah, we'll have a fight
1: on the Red Planet but, but and I won't bring a gun with me or anything. The rules weren't exactly fair either. I mean, okay, Superman, if you and I go back to prison, if I win, yeah. you die. Well, how did that
0: work as well? Luther's an escaped criminal yeah. on Earth... And Superman makes that deal with him that you've just said, that if you win, everything's okay, but that's all fine. Do the authorities not have something to say about that? <sighs> Superman essentially taking the law into his own hands here and saying, yeah, if you win me the boxing match, you can go free. Yeah, Surely they would be going, oh, wait a minute, there's still a little matter of the fact that he's got six years left on his sentence. Mm. You don't want to bring him back to jail to, to fill that sentence out?
1: It seems a bit... A bit stupid. Yeah, we can come down here and fight in the uh, the prison, we can put red lights in, it'll yeah. feel the same. It'll be, it'll be
0: just as convincing. And killing Superman will be much easier on a red planet. He'll yeah. have no superpowers. Mm-hmm. This di- didn't really make sense to me that Superman would agree to this idea. Because there's, it just seems like it's fraught with possible ways for Luther to kill him that's nothing to do with having a fur boxing match. Mm. He carries a knife with him, he goes in for the kill, he shivs him. Yeah. Superman's dead. And there's not a whole hell of a lot he can do about it. And he's free on another planet to do whatever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to come home, does he? Gets him out of his jail time. Um, they take off for the red planet, which I presume must be a fair distance away. Yeah. Because we don't have a planet in our solar system that has a red sun. So they must travel How outside of our travel system. Then? Exactly. How long was the travel? I There's a part of me that thinks Bendis could get an entire six-issue miniseries out of the yeah. travel. Because, and there's a part of me that would be interested in reading it, because I really want to know what small talk Superman and Lex Luthor made. Nice weather we're having. Yeah, what the hell did those two talk about? <laughs> Looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> well, so, uh, what do you think of the Braves this weekend, Superman? Oh, well, I think they've got a strong play this season, Mr. Luthor. If only they can hold off the...
1: No, 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 no. I don't know anything about They found out that they have so many things in common. Yeah, but... <laughs> they put all this behind them, they yeah. become friends. So... <laughs> they find out that they've both got a great love of the opera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they,
0: they both like the works of uh, Jackie Collins. And they start discussing her novels. And they both they both read all the Twilight books. <laughs> They're both big softies at heart and then the rivalry comes back up when it's revealed that Superman's Team Jacob <laughs> Lex Luthor's team the other one Edward
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that. so all the good deeds have been undone and they get to the planet and they go there's no way
1: d- Team Edward I'm sorry More <laughs> Moore Lex takes his shirt off to see uh, a Jacob tattoo
0: Team Jacob tattoo on his arm <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh
0: i'm team buffy to be honest with you <clears throat> there's a really pointless word balloon thought balloon on page five superman mentions that he's compressed his clark Ah Clen- Cl- oh, clark clent <laughs> clothes into his cape why did he even bring his clark kent clothes yeah. What possible use has he got for his Clark Kent clothes on an alien planet with a red sun? Mm. No other. Surely he sees Clark Kent on this planet. He's instantly going to
1: go. He must be Superman. Unless he's thinking, wait a minute, Superman's here and Clark's not. They must be the same. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. Yeah.
0: that's that's a bit dumb. Uh, page six. <clears throat> Superman lands a fantastic uppercut on Lex Luthor the way Swan draws his face all crunched together as if Superman's really just punched him in the gullet is is really good but I don't understand why Superman thought this was only round one yeah I don't recall any rules being laid down
1: in terms of how many rounds this fight was going for well hey they could have been in the ship for months yeah I suppose so well I find it funny as well how Superman makes um, Lex some boots to defy the gravity or something
0: yeah and Superman has no problem with it yeah yeah yeah, I'll just make some boots.
1: Got nothing better to do. See,
0: my thinking with that, though, once I'd not Lex out, though, yeah. I'd have hauled his carcass back to the ship and claimed victory. <laughs> Why haul his carcass back? Yeah, I just leaving, him. Yeah. <laughs> Leave him on the planet of the Red Sun.
1: Bye, Lex!
0: I'd have claimed a victory, though. I'm sorry,
1: I wouldn't have gone for a round two. Mm. Um, on page six, we see that uh, Krypton has Ents. Oh, yeah. The plant, the Scarlet Jungle... Yeah, that move and have faces. His, his and trees heads. that? Yeah, yeah, searching
0: for the one true kryptonite ring that Luther will have. Yeah, on. Yes, I'm shocked. On page seven, shocked, I tell you that Luther's cheating. Mm. Shocked Is by this. he
1: mean. He's got you a lead-lined shirt can't pocket. Use his powers.
0: Um. Yeah, but he's also said it's a fur fight mano a mano. He's not said he's going to bring a, a pocket protector. Yeah. Full of little nifty little gadgets. Turning him into MacGyver. Luther MacGyver. <laughs> Kevin Spacey is MacGyver, I'd watch that TV show. Um, it does beg the question why he stocked his lead lined pockets with all these little gadgets. Surely he could have just brought a little gun and shot him in the face. <laughs> when they're in the boxing ring, if he's got a lead lined pocket with a little. Bang! Yeah. Job done? Why waste any time at all? Mm. Just. No, that seemed a bit silly. Uh, page 8 The Sandstorm artwork was brilliant. I thought this was br- beautifully rendered by Swan. And the scenes of Superman wrapping the cape around his head as he tries to stumble through the storm are really good. I could almost feel the sand in his teeth as he um, as they lose each other. I thought it was really good that they were quite close to each other. But because of the sandstorm, they ended up wandering off in different directions. Yeah. So that was a nice touch as well. Um, On page 10, I like the animals that Superman finds. They kind of look a little bit like elephants, but with hollow tusks growing from their heads that collect water, presumably from lakes and rivers. It can't be salt water, because Superman drinks it with no problems.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: If it had been salt water, he would have just been dehydrated even more, wouldn't he? Yeah. So it must be pure water. How these creatures
1: drink that water themselves... Well, they have games. It they can a get the water across the face and into the mouth. Do they, they it pour it into other people? So they've developed they a, develop a society where they have to trust each other and share. Yeah, yeah all right, fair enough, I'll go with that. Although, I, I did wonder why this turned into a Dr. Seuss story.
2: <laughs> and
1: elephants from Snooblyland <laughs> capture the water in the Zagula Tusks. Very good. <laughs> they do look like Dr. Seuss monsters. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, Page 11, the shot of Luther with the camera underneath him and the sun rising above his the head camera. is excellent. The hour <laughs> what we're seeing, the panel <laughs> comics angle. Are comics are movies now. Comics are movies now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes. The camera angle is shot from underneath. And it's a really good camera angle. If for panel angle, whatever you want to call it. Really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, does it? Uh page 12, I liked especially That um, unlike a lot of science fiction, particularly TV science fiction, the inhabitants of the planet don't just miraculously speak English. Mm. They don't understand Luther and he has to learn their language to communicate with them. Which I really liked that Luther is willing to learn their language to speak to him rather than make them speak English. Mm -hmm. He's not that arrogant apparently he is willing to to teach himself another language the characterization was really good as well initially luther helps them only to achieve his own goal which is finding superman but slowly after helping the inhabitants of the planet he starts to warm to them especially as they start going oh luther is our hero (laughs) so as soon as they start hero worshiping him
1: Mm. well how does lex using the water pump um make them assume that he's a scientist does it take a scientist to work these water pumps? Well,
0: he does reprogram it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that makes him a scientist or something, but...
1: But then, spe- speaking of that, on page 12, the guy says that they have a water shortage. But uh, but on this page, everybody is praising Lex for using all their water to scare away some birds.
0: Yeah, that does seem a bit... Of, but but I, you could argue a point that Lex didn't know of the water shortage when he did that. But they're still all praising him. They're praising him for saving them lives from the Duralugs. Yeah. That ravage the crop. So, yes, it's cost them some water. But, but they've got food. Presumably, this has now shown them that they can fight back. Yeah. And maybe the Lugs are now like, oh, let's go and terrorise another tribe who don't have a Lex Luthor who's <laughs> figured out how to use a water pistol. <laughs> it's an explanation that works for me. Uh, page 13, there's a lovely bit of foreshadowing. Where... Luther's water divining machine looks exactly like the machine he built at the beginning of the story to escape from jail. Mm. Which I thought was really clever. So essentially all he's done is modify a design that he'd already created. And because we've already seen that, it's like, alright, yeah, very good, very good, Lex. I like that. Very clever. Um, Page 14. Luther's character shifts. It has been implied... ...in a number of early Superman stories... ...that had Superboy not caused Luther to lose his her, ...Luther would have grown up to be a large boon for mankind. I don't like that that much... ...because it makes Superman responsible somewhat... ...for Luther's actions... ...rather than attributing Luther's acts to free will. However, here we see a Luther that is being revered as a hero to these people... ...and so he starts acting like a hero. The whole nature versus nurture... Aspect of child rearing is much debated by child psychologists but this story seems to imply that on this world if regarded as a hero Luther would be a hero which adds a very nice subtext to the story about how treating people informs how they act Mm. if you treat people as intelligent they will not maybe not become intelligent but they will become smarter by being treated as if they're smart if you treat people with respect they will treat you with respect but mostly <laughs> Occasionally. Mm. So I like that. I like that Luther's not completely motivated by self interest, which was good. I didn't like that the removal of Superman's powers also seemed to imply that they've removed his brain. Because on page 15, when shown the equipment Luther says he can use, Superman really <laughs> seems to think Luther's smarter than him. Yeah. And maybe he is. Maybe. Because he does have super intelligence, doesn't he? Does he? In this era. So when he's Superman, he's got a super brain, so presumably he's not got his powers, mm-hmm. he's only as smarter than the average burr,
1: or as smart as the average bear. Yeah. where well, Lex would be much smarter than the average bear. Where it's not like he has to read a book really, really fast to know everything about it. Yeah. I'd say a bit boring in the middle. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, page 17, Luther doesn't reveal to Superman that he threw the fight to help the people, of the planet, but I suspect Superman knew. Again, Superman uses extra vision to activate robots, which still seems a bit suspect to me, but Michael's managed to convince me that it's plausible. And this was an excellent tale that made good use of Luther's character traits and built upon them. Superman was actually a supporting character in this story that would actually be used to develop Luther further in the future. <coughs> Losing my voice. The inhabitants would rename the planet, unnamed in this story, as Lexor in honour of Lex, and he would return there and take a wife. The planet Lexor will play a part in a story we'll be covering as part of our 1980s coverage. Okay. Looking forward to that. What did you think of that one, Michael? I liked it. It was only alright, that one. Mm. Didn't have a a downbeat ending, did it?
1: I think I liked it before they introduced the Talon's people, when it was just a fight between Superman and Lex. By the the people of Triskelion? Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I
0: like the advert though for Superman the Dailies mm. that's a really good advert that I've got one of those hardback Superman and the Dailies but... <coughs> well so far you're enjoying most of these tonight yeah. let's see what you think of the next one <laughs> our final tale for the week one of my favourites this Yeah. I love this story uh, a small tale from the pen once again of co-creator Jerry Siegel originating in Superman issue 165 from November 1963 with an on sale date of September 19th the cover has nothing to do with this story, instead depicting Beauty and the Super Beast, which was the other story in the issue. The sweetheart that Superman forgot, in addition to being written by Siegel, was drawn by Al Plastino. Clark receives a news flash that a satellite is about to collide with a UFO, and as Superman, heads into space to thwart the threat. Inside the object is red kryptonite, so Superman flings the UFO into the sun, hi Scott, and then sensibly this time heads to his fortress to await the effects. However, on his way back to Earth, he inexplicably lands in the country and disposes of his Superman suit and Clark's belongings. Clark walks into town as the effects kick in and as he slowly loses his powers and forgets who he is. Unusually for Red K, the effects kick in slowly, and there are a repeat of other effects, and as Clark makes his way to a nearby town, where he collapses after acquiring a drink from a pretty farm girl named Sally. The owner, Digby Selwyn, helps Clark to bed, and when he awakes, Clark gives them the name Jim White. Later, Jim is shown around the property, but a storm rumbles in, and lightning is attracted to a pitchfork near the dynamite used for something. Jim acts quickly and lassoes the pitchfork away in the nick of time. Given the job as a lumberjack at Selwyn's company, Clark Jim raises the ire of the foreman Bert Benson no it's Bart Benson isn't it Sorry. who can tell that Sally is sweet on Clark. He tries to humiliate Clark but his inherent curing nature and the fact that he can handle an axe makes Sally fall for him even more. She invites him to the dance where they win the contest and share a kiss to Bart's consternation. The relationship progresses and shortly Clark proposes. He enters a rodeo for the $50,000 prize money but Bart feeds the prize horse loco weed and it tosses Clark, crippling him. Sally maintains that there is a European surgeon that can cure him but Clark calls off the wedding so Sally will not be marrying out of pity. He leaves and whilst by the lake is taunted by Bart who kicks a boulder down the hill and knocks Clark into the river. Unable to swim, Clark blacks out as he sinks to the bottom. Sally finds his wheelchair and believes that Jim threw himself into the water. Alone in her room later, she cries herself to sleep. Meanwhile, Clark has been found by Lori Lamares, the mermaid with whom Superman had a relationship. After being unconscious in Atlantis for nearly a week, Superman awakens with the effects of the Red K finally worn off, but with no memory of anything since that happened. He returns to the Daily Planet, makes some spurious excuse about where he was, and returns to his everyday life. A schoolgirl reporter asks Lois if Superman will ever marry, and Clark is left wondering if he will ever fall for somebody who loves him, for who he truly is. Aww. <laughs> this one was really sad. Yeah. Um, On the face of it, this tale, a mixture of past glories such as The Menace from the Stars and numerous other red kryptonite stories, shouldn't be as good as it is. But it's not about where we begin, it's where we go. Again, the strip starts with a three-quarter page splash giving away what the story is about and this story actually originated in a newspaper strip being published from July 8th to August 17th, 1963. Both of these stories that we've just covered are in our Superman in the 60s trade paperback, which I heartily recommend. Because mm-hmm. I love this trade paperback.
1: What is it? In 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 the world of Superman comics, yeah. what is it with meteors and amnesia?
0: Um,
1: I don't know what it is about
0: meteors. I don't know whether there was a big threat of meteor attack in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. But maybe they just didn't understand as much about amnesia then as we do now. And it was one of those buzzwords that was going around. Yeah. And it was is just it, like, they it, lose their memory.
1: This is the second time where a meteor's... Him Causing amnesia. him
0: amnesia. Well it's no dumber than all those cartoons from the 60s where you hit somebody with a rock they don't remember who they are yeah. and you smack them over the head with a rock again and suddenly the memory comes back and you're like, yeah you should try that in <laughs> real life dude you're probably going to kill them. <laughs> so maybe that's all it was. Maybe amnesia was a new buzz thing mm. in the 60s because Harry, Norman Osborne, sorry, got amnesia as well didn't he and didn't yeah. remember that he was the Green Goblin and they used that quite a lot. Um, page 2 As before, the effects of Red K is mentioned as never lasting more than 48 hours. Clark inexplicably lands in the middle of nowhere and dumps his ID and costume, which was, for me, the only weak part of the story, as the Red Kryptonite shouldn't really make him do these things whilst he's still in control of his faculties. The story couldn't work if Clark kept his ID on him, but perhaps it'd been better to establish he'd left his wallet in the office or something. Because he didn't have any ID on him in the Menace from the Stars, did he? You know, when he could have used it. So that would have worked much better. Mm. That he didn't have his wallet with him. I did like the effects of this particular brand of red kryptonite as somehow different to others. And repeats previous effects and doesn't wear off. At least not immediately. Or as quickly as red kryptonite normally does. <clears throat> Page three. They could have made a lot more of this. Yeah, subconsciously Clark wanders towards a farm and is attracted to a farmer's daughter that really is playing into the whole Clark Kent is the real person thing Yeah, that they really didn't do much in this era at all, Superman's the guy, Clark's the disguise, and I maintain he's still the disguise in the burn era Yeah, but that's a conversation for a completely different time um, I do like that he does have a Superman inspired dream So I suppose, given this being the era of being disguised as Clark Kent, it makes more sense that the subconscious dream is more Superman-orientated. Especially as there is a big deal made out of his subconscious name choice of Jim White. Yeah. Which could have been worse. He could have called himself Lois Lamaris. Uh, The most effective use of subconscious dreaming is on page five, where Clark dreams of red and green rocks.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really funny.
0: Yeah. Because they really really are playing a lot with his subconscious in this one. It was quite very... Mm. I thought this was a really well-written tale for a short backup feature in the 1960s. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, page four the caption explains that Superman does not use an electric razor as his hair doesn't normally grow in Earth's atmosphere and therefore he doesn't remember how to use one. Couldn't they just say he doesn't remember how to use one because of the amnesia? Yeah. Wouldn't that have made more sense? I mean, I know they're explaining to the reader that, you know, Superman's hair doesn't normally grow. Mm. So, I get what they've done. Some of the art in this looks very John Romita Senior.
1: Yeah.
0: Doesn't it? Do you not think? A bit, yeah. Sally looks very Romita in a lot of the panels.
1: Um, Page five. Clark takes a job as a lumberjack. Yeah. So, how is lumberjacking dangerous work? What's dangerous about cutting down trees? Because, Um, assumably, if you're just a regular person, you'll have no problem with... Hopping out the way whilst the tree's coming down. Because A, you know when the tree's coming down, and B, you can see it coming down. It depends. Because I do like that he's wearing a lumberjack shirt, yeah. which amused
0: me no end. But a lot of times the lumberjacks will be hundreds of feet up in the air right. and cutting the tr- top of the tree off. So it was quite dangerous from that perspective. But he's from the floor, yeah. Yeah, Clark's not doing that. But again, these could be very, very big trees. They grow them big
1: it's okay the trees are even bigger that's even safer then you think? yeah because you can see it falling down it's going to it's gonna fall slower
0: good gust of wind could crush you though and I suppose you've got to be watching what the other guys are up to okay Um, I would argue there's a bit of danger in any job and working with an axe you know you can always cut yourself in the head or something yeah I suppose I did love his lumberjack shirt I love that Sally was a lumberjack shirt as well I was reading this and all I could think on page six was the Lumberjack song by Monty Python. Mm. <laughs> um, Bart's obviously covering something up with his machismo, isn't he? Mm.
1: That well, line, though. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ride him so hard he'll get disgusted and quit. <laughs> Which can be so taken Will wrong. <laughs> and evidently... I'll ride him so hard. Uh, we'd rather you didn't. Um, yeah, on page six. There's something else, where are lumberjacks good at riding logs? I have no idea. Any logger worth his salt
0: can ride logs <laughs> down river to the mill. Maybe they did. Maybe that's how they used to do it. Maybe they used to just travel them down the water and they had to stand on them and balance and keep <laughs> them going. Like Frogger. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah
0: exactly <Lumberjacker>. like Frogger. <laughs> yeah. They should so make a video game out like of that. <laughs> Clark Kent Lumberjack. That'd totally work. Um... Page seven, the relationship between Clark and Sally is built up really well, despite the limited page count. Sally really does come across as somebody Clark would be attracted to as well. She's a free-thinking woman, knows her own mind and can stand up for herself, but is also capable of being tender. Unlike Lana and Lois, she's got no interest in Superman. She falls completely for Clark. Plus, they win $50 together, which I would have thought was quite the haul in 1963. (laughs) Could have bought quite a lot of comic books for that with $25 back then, couldn't he? Page nine takes an unexpected sadness. In light of what happened to Christopher Reeve, it's hard not to see some further ironies in this story than the ones being pointed out by the writer. Seeing Clark disabled by being thrown from a horse takes on a very sad timber following the events of May 27th, 1995. Especially since he does end up in a wheelchair. So... Well, it was quite sad, that. Uh, local weed is a real substance, and animals that eat it may run in circles, stagger or drool, which, again, I didn't know before I read this. So it's the animal drug. Yeah, pretty much. It's an animal drug. Uh, but, if we haven't already guessed it, he's a real scumbag, mm. isn't he? He's got no redeeming features at all, unlike the Blakely Mind disaster guy, Yeah. when we covered that story, he went through a character arc but learns nothing from this and presumably will carry on the rest of his life thinking that he killed this guy and not caring about it mm. he's a tough, he arranges Clark's accident, so he causes the accident that cripples him Yeah, he laughs then at the fact that he is disabled and then taunts him, ultimately causing what would have been the guy's death if Clark weren't Superman he's an irredeemable scumbag yeah even though he didn't mean to kill Clark that's manslaughter mm-hmm. that was my only real trouble with this other than the ending being really sad when he doesn't know any of it that he got away with it
1: what, what, what do you do if you he's just committed a crime then but how do you go about it there's no records of the Jim White like...
0: that's true so you can't kill somebody who never existed yeah. is that your point my point though is this guy got away with murder yeah in a Superman story page 10 You've got another bit here that is unexpected, unexpectedly deep for the time period that this story was written. Um, Digbit actually asks Sally outright if she was carrying on Marion Clark due to pity. Hmm. Which is a real gut punch because she doesn't have an answer for him. Yeah. Which I thought was really, a really adult piece of writing for what was essentially a, an, a, a 12 page children's story. Hmm. I loved this one. I thought this was really gut-wrenching in all the best ways. Despite the silliness of the era, there's some real moments of hard-hitting writing here. Because they even consider the Clarks con- cons- committed suicide because he's disabled. Yeah, That's incredibly heavy stuff hmm. that he couldn't cope with being disabled so he's killed himself. And all of this from a simple 12-page kidster in the back of a comic book. I love comics when they're this good. I really do. Um, the main differences between the newspaper strip and the comic are the amount of time it takes for Superman to dispose of the Red K, and that as a lumberjack, Clark is shirtless. So that may have led into Sally's interest. I don't know why he wasn't allowed to have no top on in the comic, mm. but he was in the newspaper strip. I've no idea how that works. Um, the, rival between Clark, the rivalry sorry, between Clark and Bart is played up more in the newspaper strip. And Sally's a lot more attractive in the comic rather than the newspaper strip. The main difference is in the ending. Rather than being picked up by Aquaman and nursed to health by Laurie Lamaris, as in the comic, the newspaper strip has the water buffeting Clark waking him up and he recovers from the effects of Red K and flies off. The ending is also more organic with it being a school trip to the Daily Planet to see how newspapers are made asking about Superman, which feels more like something a school trip would do. I loved this.
1: I thought this was fantastic.
0: What did you think of it?
1: I really enjoyed it. Because it's miserable. Yeah. (laughs) Because it really is pretty miserable. It
0: is. And the fact that... There is no resolution. She thinks that he's dead. She doesn't even remember her. her.
2: Yeah.
0: It's really, really, really tragic. It's a wonderful little romance tragic romance story yeah. that you would not expect, A, from a Superman story and B, from a superhero story generally. Mm. Um, the comic is the preferred reading experience, being a more complete tale with less padding, which was necessary for the newspaper strip, but redundant in the comic book, although the ending works better in the strip than the comic. Either way, this is a simply heartbreaking story, up there with great tragic romances. There's no resolution to the tale. Clark ends up with no memory of Sally. Sally believes Jim to be dead which was just an extra punch in the gut. I think what really struck me about this story though was it was all about Clark. Yeah, And he was strong enough as a character to carry the story. And it, it would have been really easy to see them adapt this into an episode of Lois and Clark off Smallville and being able to pull it off quite well. Because there's very few super feats in it. Superman's burly in it. Yeah. Beyond the first couple of pages. Um, the disabled angle is really quite poignant as well. Especially in light of, of real life events. Um, I loved it. I remember I hadn't read this story before I got this Superman in the 60s trade paperback. And it was easily my favourite story in the entire trade. Yeah. It's distinctly memorable for being so offbeat. And it was a great little
1: story. Some depressing issues this week. We
0: did, didn't we? But I I did that deliberately because I wanted to show that the Silver Age wasn't all silliness. Yeah. Yes, that was a big part of it. Hmm. And Superman Silver Age silliness I can tolerate a lot more than I can. Batman Silver Age silliness. Yes. I think I've said before Batman for me can can stop in 1940 and pick up again in 1969 and I'd be perfectly alright with that. Yeah. But... The Superman stories had some really, really good stuff in them that you just have to ferret out a bit. It really irritates me when people say there are no good Superman stories and the top ten Superman stories are always whatever after to the man of tomorrow and for the man who has everything. Mm -hmm. Bored! Because to me that's just somebody who's not read a lot of Superman. Mm
2: -hmm. They've
0: read what people give you to read about Superman. Yeah. But Any top ten story, I think, that doesn't include that 60s death of Superman story, or the the sweetheart that Superman forgot, or any number of these great tales that are in from the 30s to the 70s, yes, some of them are silly. But every now and again, you'll get a diamond like that one that was just brilliant.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And that about wraps it up for this week, because Michael's flagging. I'm not flagging I can, you are I can <laughs> tell your eyes are going there. Oh, I shouldn't right. stay up all night on bloody Facebook I don't um, references this week included Superman in the 60s heartily recommended trade paperback. best of DC Digest issue 36 and the Superman Daily's website on http backslash com, which has a number of the Superman newspaper strips uh, next week we enter the 70s As we look at a number of classic tales. Superman Breaks Loose from Superman issue 233. Superman Takes a Wife from Action Comics 484. Although it doesn't say Worry Texer. Who Took the Super Out of Superman from Superman 296. Uh, Superman 2001 from Superman issue 300. And another small classic, I Can't Go Home Again from Superman issue 270. We hope you enjoyed this. I know I did you did this week no, I am I'm quite impressed you liked Arnold that yeah. so you're more of that than the golden age aren't you uh, yeah so far alright fair enough uh, and we'll see you next week for more super goodness bye bye Kids Comics is that the devil will make work for idle hands to do production and all opinions expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and you probably shouldn't take them too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are for illustrative and review purposes only and no infringement is intended. Andrew and Michael make no money from the production of this show which is a source of much consternation. New episodes drop every Thursday over at two twotruefreaks.lipson.com which is spelt L I B S Y N. Old episodes of the show are also archived on the Two True Freaks Internet radio feed at two com. If you wish to communicate with Michael or Andrew or any of the things they have discussed about on the show, you can email them at Hey Kids Comics, all one word, at virginmedia.com. If you wish to view the covers of the comics we've talked about this week, we have a website www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you are so inclined but don't actually want to drop us an email but just wish to ask us a quick question or say hi you can Facebook friend us. We're using Hey Kids, all one word, as the first name and Comics as the surname. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.
1: good it is but well since the chocolates we eat are unbranded there's no uh, no uh, name on the uh, wrapping I'm not spending all my money on branded biscuits for you like you'll eat anything no you're just spending all your money on a new toaster and a new TV <laughs> we didn't need one you just wanted one I wanted a proper HD one right okay ours was, wasn't a proper HD one an imp- can you have an improper HD TV yes it was only 720p not 1080p right
0: and I've been watching Star Trek The Next
1: Generation in HD so is that medium definition
0: yeah it's kind of average definition
1: uh, I mean, it's still no good to me when I don't know if my
0: contact lenses in. Which mm. I haven't had because I've had a sore eye. So. Anyway, too much information. Too much background information. People aren't interested in us. Yeah. People want to know about the comics, dude. What comics are you covering this week, Andrew and Michael? Tell me, tell me now!
1: Are people more interested in the people behind them?
0: I suppose it depends.
1: If you're listening to the show, why do you find more interest in the comics, or the people talking about the comics? It depends. I'll be absolutely honest with you. There was, I keep
0: mentioning Back to the Bins. I think you like Back to the bin. I do, I'm very glad that it's back. Um, back back to the bench. But they recently did an episode where they spent 45 minutes, Scott Gardner and Paul Spataro and Bill Robinson. Hello, you three. Spent 45 minutes bitching about Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterically funny. Just these three guys going, I don't understand Minecraft. <laughs> really good it was very funny and it was they got to the main part of the show where they started to talk about comics and I was like oh carry on talking about Minecraft that was funny but then they got the comics oh, that is
1: funny because you can relate yeah where
0: is the Minecraft and it, I was just sat there just nodding my head with it do your kids go on youtube and watch videos of people playing minecraft and scott's like oh god yeah and i'm like yeah yeah adam does that
1: adam goes, and,
0: adam goes and watches videos of people playing minecraft and you're like why don't you just play the game
1: yourself he's one of those people who is the people on youtube who other people watch playing Minecraft. yeah adam does his own video tube thing doesn't he mm-hmm. of him
0: playing minecraft <laughs> It's, it's a fascinating subculture. Of oh course. One which, quite frankly, I don't understand, because I find watching people playing
1: video games, mm-hmm. any video game, boring as hell. Well, I'd rather be the uh, primary audience of my video games, you know, I don't need no middleman.
0: No, yeah, I'd rather be. If I'm playing
1: them, that's yeah. great, but watching people play video
0: games is dull,
1: you know, you know what's the, the worst thing about watching other people play video games is when they make something and you'll say, no, I would have done that instead. Oh,
0: God, yeah. I'll be playing, is it Call of Duty? And Adam will be sat there go, go that way, Dad, go that way, Dad, go up, go down, go left, go right, look around, turn around, go up, go down, far
1: out. And I'm like, shut up! And you've died three times by the time we said that.
0: Hey, I've died twice.
1: Oh, you'll be playing drive, uh, drive and I'll be like, no, you should have gone left. And I'm like, I'm, go
0: to bed. <laughs> and oddly... I start playing alright, though, when nobody's yelling
1: at me. <laughs> anyway. How many times have I been helpful, though? How many times have
0: you been helpful? <laughs>
1: Occasionally
0: you're helpful.
1: Occasionally.
0: I hate that you've got all this free time. Because it invariably means you've played my games before I I don't there. have any free time. You've got more from- You're on half term next week. You've I'm got g- a week
1: off. I've got coursework
0: to do. Plus on your snow days. No, like two Hmm. you should be doing two days in over our term next week, I think. OK. I think school should instigate that policy. If they close for two days, they should make that time up. If I'm not allowed to take you out of school without writing a letter to the Board of Governors requesting permission that I can take my own child away with me somewhere, then they shouldn't be allowed to close school without making that time up. Well, it's our holidays and it's health and safety. Dunker! OK. You get yourself a drink?
1: mm hmm I weed...
2: Your
0: girlfriend's
1: weird. When you wee yourself with laughing. Oh, right, Let's see. Do you want another drink? No, I'm still fine, thank you.
0: Five friends and five million other people play this game. (laughs)
1: Play
0: what? Angry Birds Star Wars.
1: So good, but it's so laggy on a computer.
0: I know, I don't play it on here, I play it on my iPad. Oh, yeah, new
1: levels are out. Will they download automatically or do I have to pay for them? You've already downloaded automatically.
0: Excellent.
1: I've already got the
0: high scores. You're not, because I spent last night beating your high scores. Yeah. So suck it up. What are you up to? I'm still on Tatooine going back and beating all
1: your high scores. Right. I'm on both moving towards Degabar. The Degabar system. I've Cloud City. You will go
0: to the Degabar system. There you will learn from Yoda, the Jedi Master who instructed me. Bond James Bond. The Daniel Craig Triple Pack, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. Just I'd Skyfall. Skyfall's
1: awesome. Is it?
0: Yeah. I love Skyfall. Anyway, let us turn that off.
2: It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $5804 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th, from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013, at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there.